Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. So just waiting for Tara to join us here and we're going to get to our, our pup. Our pup date, our, our pet update, which we affectionately called the pup date. Um, but while I'm waiting for Tara, something really incredible happened yesterday that I was not expecting. Uh, I made this little joke post um, about the uh, the moon landing. And I said, yeah, and all you lunatics who don't believe it happened, so there, you know, is <laughs> that right? And, and the funny thing is all these people came on my uh, Facebook page. This is, it's, it's public, so you can all take a look. Right? Just go to Greg Pangloss, you know, Facebook. Um, I had to shut down my site. Uh, action radio with Greg Pangos because basically Facebook had already shut it down. They'd taken all my pictures out of all my episodes. They made it look really boring. They'd stripped it of anything interesting. And besides, it was shadow banned anyway. So I removed my page. Uh, action radio with Greg Pangos just disabled it. So that's why you don't see it. That's why I don't post my shows however, on Facebook because they don't let me put a picture with it. Without a picture, there's no there's no uh, visual uh, no visual aid to help you know bring you to the website. And so it's been. Uh, it's been quite this, this uh, battle uh, online right now you know, on Facebook. You know, did we land on the moon or not? So, of course, I'm going to ask Tara that. Uh, in fact, she's here, so why don't I just ask her right now? <laughs> let's, let's have some fun this morning before we get started with, the, with our pets. Good morning, Tara. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing this Friday? Oh, well, it's hysterical. I've just been, been uh, sort of chatting about the, uh, the post that I made yesterday, you know, saying, hey, congratulations, moon landing. Isn't this wonderful? And I said, take that, all you lunatics that don't believe it, right? And so before I call you a lunatic, I should probably ask, um, have you heard about this, this hoax that people think we actually didn't go to the moon? I, I, I found um, it so intriguing. I've, I've heard I'm that previously yeah. a time or two, yeah. Um, yeah. I tend to believe we were there, so I'm just going to go with what history says on that one myself. Okay. You know, and then, you know, around here we don't uh, use the term conspiracy theory. Uh, these are just ongoing <laughs> investigations, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's fascinating. In fact, it's so fascinating. I'm hoping someone calls in. Now I've got uh, Mike Clinch, uh, who ran for county commissioner. He's going to drop into the show uh, nine o'clock today. So if you want to listen in, we'll get Mr. Science. Oh, okay. And uh, so he, we've talked about all kinds of things, earthquakes and global warming okay. and all this other nonsense. Yeah, it's really well. Earthquakes aren't nonsense. I was in one in San Francisco in '89. It, <laughs> it was definitely real. Um, the one thing I say that was, oh, yeah, that wasn't really an earthquake in San Francisco. Oh, yeah, I was there. You know, in fact, I've caught uh, a few of the, the, the great events of this country. I was in the blizzard of 78 in New England. I was in the earthquake of 89 in San Francisco. And I was in Hurricane oh Sally goodness. here in, in 2021. So, yeah. So, as I tell my friends, I'm moving next to a volcano to kind of round out my experience. <laughs> yeah, really. So, you've got everything, all the national uh, natural disasters covered there. Yeah, so. the, uh, no, the show was created for the national disasters. <laughs> That's kind of funny, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for those that don't know, um, I made a video with, with Tara, which was fabulous. Well, she was fabulous. I just kind of held the, uh, the phone. Um, but no, it's true. No, you were great. Uh, but it was almost an hour long. Do you really believe that? We talked for an hour in, in the heat and just, you know, walking around in the... Yeah, know, yeah. Well, there's lots to see at the shelter. Lots of, yeah. lots of animals and big building and lots of people. So yeah, it went by quickly then. Yeah. Do you have that posted somewhere so people can, can see all our wonderful We don't have it posted yeah. yet. We had sent it um, to our PIO, and um, I think they'll probably get it posted here in the next day or so on Facebook. I would imagine that's where they'll put it. Or they might do a little clip and use clippets of it for other things, uh, stuff like that. I know we had some of our staff that are really um, – 
camera shy, so to speak, and then we had some people that are willing to talk, so it kind of goes, you know, 50-50, depending on who you encounter, so. Well, I, I just kind of post them as is, because, you know, live, that's kind of how it goes, so unfortunately, uh-huh, yeah. uh, I, I would have to get rid of the whole... Yeah, I would have to get rid of the whole video, and I'm not going to do that. Um, but yeah. there was we're not going to mention names here, although there was one person <laughs> who was kind of surprised. That, you know, I, I said the, the, the two magic words, Facebook Live, and this, this uh, look of sheer panic, and uh, it, it was pretty funny. <laughs> but anyway, yes, but that's Codename V for that person, yes. So, we enjoyed really uh, teasing that person about that for, for the next day, a day or two, actually, so that was fun. Oh, you got some mileage out of it? Good for you. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so for those that want to see the uncut version, the unedited version, the, the pre-sanitized version, uh, the Action Radio video page, and it, it's somewhere on my page, but it'll get lost. But uh, that's where all the videos go. And if you make a video personally, you can put it on there too. The, the, the only requirement... Yeah, the only requirement to be on our video page is, is that the person who posted actually made the video. They're they're in it. Mm-hmm. They did the camera. They did something because I, you know, people start posting all all of the you know the celebrity you know news. Is it no? This is for oh, people yeah. that actually make videos. So that's that's why <laughs> that's why it is. So it's Larry Larry Downs Jr. and me get <laughs> yeah, most of them there because he makes videos all the time. <laughs> anyway, any um uh, any other news from that uh, that 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 event you know. I know some folks want to be on a panel, you know, which would be great. Yeah, I think that would be great. And, um, you know, we can kind of get the kind of um, opinion of different people in the shelter because, you know, the front office staff sees a lot of different things than some of the kennel staff versus medical. Mm-hmm. So kind of a well-rounded side of everything. So, no, it's kind of funny because afterwards everyone was kind of mentioning in the video and like, what was that again? And, and <laughs> you caught me off guard. And I was like, well, we was know you're not going to agree to participate, yeah. so we're just going to, you know, kind of ambush you. So it was a fun thing, though. I think everybody enjoyed it. So. Oh, good. So you didn't warn them ahead of time, or, or they, were, they weren't quite sure uh, Well, I told them you're – well, I told some people you're coming, but then some people, you know, they get in their little zone of working, and they don't pay attention, and they're kind of like, wait a minute, what's going on? So – yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, that, and that's part of the problem is, is as, as I try to break through our censorship, uh, it's mm-hmm. got nothing to do with, with, you know, the animal shelter and things like that. People don't, that's not what we're being censored for. Uh, the bigger things, vaccine product liability bill, our big tech bill, uh, a couple of mm-hmm. huge hearings in Washington on things that we've already solved as far as problems go. Uh, so it's quite amazing to me, you know, where we stand and why it's uh, happening. Once we break through, you guys are all going to be famous. So just kind of stand by, you'll, you know, they'll oh, be okay, good to know. <laughs> It'll become coming to pick up animals and get your autograph. And, you know, this, you that's know, right. Well, free autographs. You know, if you if you get a pet, so just throwing that out there. There you go. Yeah, you can. Um, I don't know how we, we should sign the video or something like that, or, or personally <laughs> endorsed by Tara D. You can put a comment on your video. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So, how are the critters doing with all this heat? I mean, this has got to make some special. Um, um, criteria special things you have to do for them yeah i tell you it's very very hot as everyone knows um our so our cats have it pretty good in the in the coolness um they are in the ac so you know they kind of have it made in the shade so to speak the dogs not so Mm -hmm. much the kennel area is not air conditioned so we use big industrial fans Mm -hmm. it still gets super super hot and for the staff as well because they're back there with them so it's it's you know, but we can go catch a little minute of AC to cool off, but the dogs are kind of stuck back there in the heat. So mm-hmm. our our dog walkers are coming, taking them out, getting them, you know, we have the little kitty pool set up. So when they do go out, if they want to cool off and get some water, you know, some of the dogs like to lay in the pool or play in the pool. Um, when they're in the kennels, we're just making sure their water is topped off at all times. If anybody looks in distress, we're going to move them to a different area. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some of our volunteers that come in and do special, we call it dog enrichment, where they do some Something 
different for the dog, you know, and so sometimes they'll bring in frozen treats. I think last Friday was frozen Frisbee Day, so they brought in frozen peanut butter on Frisbees and gave those out. And uh, sometimes they'll do, like, the popsicles with, like, chicken broth or something and freeze those and bring those out. So something a little different. And the, the reactions of the of the dogs are kind of funny because it's 50-50. The dogs are either going to be like, oh, this is the best thing ever, or they're going to go like, what is this? And they just look at it and don't even have any interest in it at all. So but those are little things that they're trying to do. Oh, and we, we have our little um, ice ice baby is what we call it. So we have one of our our tried and true volunteers that have have been here for a long time so she it's mostly her but other volunteers do it too but she'll go next door to our emergency operations center and fill up a big ice container and then go through and just kind of top off the water with ice water so they get some nice cool water so it's just a little something to try to keep them cool in the in the extreme heat so well no, it's interesting to say that because i had um someone I saw that had a dog. Uh, it was a big dog. It was like a St. Bernard or some large, you know, cold weather dog. And right. they have one of those they have one of those blue kiddie pools. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, why don't you why don't you just fill up the, the kiddie pool with ice water? You know, and uh, the dog will love it. It'd be like like the polar bears in the zoo and they have the uh, which I don't like seeing <laughs> yeah. anymore, but uh, well as a kid it was kinda cool. But anyway, but uh, yeah, they, they just give them freezing cold water. So like the huskies and the Saint Bernards and the cold weather dogs. You know, and why anybody in Florida would have a cold weather dog, I don't know, but they do. Um, but uh, yeah. is that We is see that a lot possible? of huskies around here. Yeah, they're beautiful yeah, so, dogs, um, but wrong Yeah, state. they're beautiful, but it's very, heat. yeah, it's very hot for them. So we just, you know, try to stress that to everyone, especially, like you said, if you have a dog that's really kind of born to be up north, you know, you can, if you have them here, that's, that's okay. Just make sure that you have them in AC or if it's, if they are outside for a period of time, make sure they have shelter and shade and plenty, mm-hmm. plenty, plenty of water. And a, a night, like you said, a nice kiddie pool does wonders for a dog to keep them cool and, and give them something to do during the day. So we're hoping that they're inside, you know, getting breaks, but if not, at least make sure that they have, you know, proper shelter outside so they can get out of that heat and make sure they have a, a source of water and getting cool because those things are important also another thing people that that have um like light dogs like white dogs or you know like a pink nose dog they can get sunburned very easily so any color dog can but particularly you know they're they're a fair-skinned dog so to speak so just something to think about if you're out and about with your pet make sure that uh you know they keep an eye on their skin make sure they're not getting sunburned because that does happen with the dogs as well so yeah, you never think about that because they have fur, but uh, that's, that's right. Quite yeah, but, but that's why they have fur. You know, this is how animals. You know, how did mammals evolve to be able to be out in the sun all day long? Well, they have fur. You know, and exactly. it's interesting that so fur. It, yeah, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, and it it actually for some of the dogs, it actually keeps them cooler. So. Yeah, yeah, and that's what's interesting too. People don't realize that. I realized that when I used to work, you know, outside, which I did a lot for for, for many years. And a lot of the guys I worked with would shave their heads, and they'd be pouring off sweat. And I had my long hair, right? And of course, I did it for for sunburn reasons too. I kept my ears covered, kept uh-huh. the back of my neck covered, uh, just that, just in self defense. And they're like, "Oh man, how do you have all that hair?" I said, "Well, it's easy. You're sweating. You know, you're you're dripping sweat like crazy, and I'm fine. <laughs> you know, I've got my insulation." Uh-huh. And people don't realize uh, that's how it works. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. It looks like we have a call, so we got Pianchi, who's one of who's uh, our, our most regular favorite caller around here. And so, Pianchi, oh, okay. do you want to you want you want to get in our pet chat here? You're on with uh, Tara D. Hello. I have a good morning to you and your guests. You know, I have a question that you just asked, Greg. Okay. Go for it. People want to bring a husky, a Malamute, down mm-hmm. the Mississippi to try to raise them, because yeah. what you're done, you're altering the DNA. 
of those offsprings because they are living under different adaptation environment, and they won't mm-hmm. be the same as they were when they left up north. So that's a fact. I had a question. Malamute. I had a Malamute, and uh-huh. that animal he weighed a hundred. He got up to one hundred eighty pounds. Big oh dog. wow! Did you have a sled? And, <laughs> Huh? He was a thoroughbred. He, he was a he was, no. Do you have do you have a sled a for them to pull? Rented. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I didn't have no sled, but he was AKA <laughs> registered. His uh-huh. ears slopped. His ears wouldn't stand up. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was a but the the heat, you know, that just drew for little stuff. Well, let's let's talk about that. That actually is a fascinating question. I'd never even thought of. Uh, do animals change if you bring a husky, you know, to Florida? Several generations down the line, are they, in fact, a different dog that has adapted to the warmer climate, and are they still a husky? I never even thought about well, that. Well, yeah. I mean, I know that, you know, animals will adapt to their environment, but I don't know the time frame of how long it's going to take, you know what I mean, as far as, like, right. a different environment, and they're continuously, you know, because animals obviously adapt over time. That's why we have animals that have, you know, different I don't know what to call it, but you know, there's, there's different things going on with them. They're, they've adapted. If they're, if they're more amphibious, it's because they're in a different environment than maybe originally. So, I don't know what the time frame would be though for something like that for them. You know, I know that also with just regular dogs, if you you know how people breed them, and they mm-hmm. breed them down or up or whatever. So definitely, I'm sure they can adjust to things. But I don't I don't know if we're talking hundreds years, thousands of years, or what, I really don't know. Cause Millions not, of years, yeah. Well, that's yeah, not my yeah. wheel well of expertise. So. Oh, that's okay. You can, you can guess. We're, we're big on speculating here, especially on things we don't yeah, know about. I <laughs> yeah, I would fun. say if you have a husky, his 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 kids and his grandkids are probably still not going to like the heat. That would be my guess. Yeah, I think so, too. And there's always a question between actual you know, change in DNA, which I think takes a long time, but adaptation takes a lot less time. Uh, and mm-hmm. so that it'd be interesting that maybe each individual animal has to adapt. So here's a question, though. So then what are the good breeds for warm weather? For, folks for warm here? weather, um, basically, I mean, it kind of depends. Like we we know our, our other breeds like Huskies and Malamutes, things like that, that are kind of generally used to the cold weather, St. Bernard's and whatnot. Um, you know, warm weather, dogs... Uh, there's not a specific that would do better, but I know I can tell you what doesn't do well, like the short snout dogs, like um, English bulldogs, things like that that have the shorter snout. They can get overheated really easy. So really? those are dogs that you, yeah, so you definitely don't want them out in the heat because, you know, they have they have trouble with the breathing because of their, um, it's the brachio thing. So you want to make sure that they keep in the AC and they're not out. We do see a lot of those come through that can get overheated easily. So, you know, hmm. labs are good and very adaptable dogs, and they tend to do, they're kind of like a hardy dog and tend to do well in pretty much any environment. And just, and mixed breeds, honestly, kind of seem to do well wherever, too. So <laughs> Mixed breeds are the best. <laughs> you know, yes, and we happen to have about yeah. 60 mixed breeds up for adoption, just really? throwing that yeah. out there. Yeah, so we yeah. have tons, no, we, we, tons and tons of puppies here that are ready for home, so. Yeah, we need to talk about uh, that. This is fascinating, but uh, um, I'm thinking, so So, what would be a cold-weather dog? You know, like you said, the Huskies, the, the Malamutes, things like that. Yeah, like St. Bernard, the Newfies. But we do see a lot of Newfies down here. The Newfoundlands are pretty popular, actually, because um, as big as they are, they're actually pretty calm and very well-mannered dogs. So they are pretty popular here. Um, hopefully they're staying indoors 
in the in the heat and you know getting that luxury life but i think a lot of them that we see here actually are probably house dogs so not not doing okay. what they were actually set up for yeah. but still <sighs> probably living a pretty good life so see that's another thing too that I, that i find fascinating that people will take a, a dog that's bred for something uh, and then not have them do it you know, why would you right. put a border collie in a small space or a small yard? You know, they need sheep. <laughs> you know, why would you have yeah, a German something. shepherd not, not guarding and watching and doing what German shepherds do? Why would you have a bloodhound not hunting and trailing and, and, and doing things that these dogs naturally do? So to Pianchi's point, which I think is interesting, if dogs mm-hmm. do not do what they're bred for, if you don't send dachshunds down rabbit holes, for example, you know, all the things mm-hmm. that these dogs do are, guard, are like mastiffs. They're not guarding. I think they were like British king guard dogs. Um, right. Do they lose, do they lose their, their, their instinct for what they're supposed to do? Yeah. My, my guess would be it, it kind of maybe dumbs down a bit, but I think they'll always probably have that little bit of that natural instinct but it probably definitely gets kind of watered down i would think but i know like for for some of the dogs we see coming in here like you can tell we we tell people as a whole you know you have to judge each dog individually but you can you can kind of say with a general certainty that most shepherds not all but the majority of the shepherds are going to want to have a job to do or they're going to have certain certain characteristics that you can kind of look, okay, that's kind of typical of a shepherd. Mind you, you may see one that's just total opposite because that does happen as well, but at least it kind of gives people a barometer of sort of what to expect from a, t- a particular breed. And if you know that you are not an active person, then, yeah, like you said, don't get a Border Collie or don't get an Australian Cattle Dog. These are working dogs. They're going to need, even if you don't mm-hmm. let them do cattle, they're still going to have to have an outlet for that, a, a mental stimulation, physical exercise to get those things out. Mm-hmm. And if you try to just bring them into your apartment and you don't walk them, they're, you know, most likely for the most part not going to do so well. So. Well, they get bored. Uh, I would yeah, think. And, I know with, and with that's birds. when they get destructive, and then people are like, oh, this dog is tearing at my house. Well, that's because he's sitting on the couch 20 hours yeah, a day, and yeah. he's you know, bored, and he needs to go for a run or whatever. So, Or you can just make, make yourself have a better match. Like, my dog is a Mastiff, and I got her from here at the shelter, and uh-huh. she's super lazy, so it works great for me because I'm lazy, too, when I get home from work. So, <laughs> you know, it balances out. So. Yeah, when I get home, I'm like, okay, where's the couch? You know, we're just gonna pill around in the yard, but you work hard. no serious things are going. Yeah, it's it's a it's a long day here sometimes, and the heat is pretty pretty hot. And you know, when I, especially since when I've been in the kennels for many years, kind of get, you know, hours and hours of of helping dogs and loving on dogs, and and then walking dogs and doing a lot of physical activities. So now when I get home, I'm like, okay, now I just need to, you know, I can't go on a, an hour hike with my dog because I'm too darn tired. So if I have a lazy dog, I don't have to do that. So you just try to make sure it's a good match for your lifestyle. And that's one of the things a lot of people, they go by the physical aspect. Oh, that's a cute dog. I love the way that dog looks, but it may not be but, a good match. So we just encourage people, make sure it's a good match for your lifestyle too, not just on, you know, the physical aspects. Yeah, if you got 12 kids and you like to go hiking in the woods, definitely bring a border collie because they'll keep them all. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, and they will yeah. herd those kids and keep them keep them in line and everything. So. Yeah, love it. Um, Pianchi, do you have another question? Then we'll get to uh, to uh, some specific guests that are available. Yeah, I think what she's doing is marvelous. Uh-huh. I think the job that you're doing is marvelous because I have concerns myself when I see uh, videos of dogs that's in distress or dogs that's. Uh, you know, in trouble. And, you know, animals, even the wildest animals will come to human beings to seek out help. 
when mm-hmm. they're faced with something you can't change. But do you try to hook up dogs with kids? Because uh, when a young child can have a pet, it, it also instills some sense of responsibility and also love and caring in them. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that completely. I think, I think one of the, I think if we did a study on people who did not have pets growing up versus people who did, I think you would see a difference in certain aspects. I really think it's so important for, for, for kids growing up at some point to have a pet because like you said, it teaches them responsibility. Unconditional love is something, you know, your parents all, obviously, parents love their kids unconditionally, but the Kids may not really understand that aspect, but with a pet, they know that pet loves them no matter what, and it's like to have an instant best friend, and it's I think it's great for a family, and and if the parents do it properly, yes, they can instill responsibility into them, and like, hey, this is part of your job, and it teaches them, hey, this animal is dependent upon me, and I have to step up for this, so I, I, we love to pair pets with uh, families. We just try to make sure that they it's a family decision because if one, like say mom wants a dog, dad doesn't, it's probably going to be a point of contention at some point. So you, you hope that the whole family's on board. And then again, if we have kids, we want to make sure like this is an active, active dog. If you have a toddler, if you're okay with your, your kid getting knocked over, then that's cool. But if you're going to freak out about that, then maybe don't get this super active dog or wait until the kid is a little older. So, but yeah, dogs, you know, do great with families and are an important part of the family dynamic. So we we encourage people with with kids to come in and adopt for sure. Yeah, they should probably meet the the whole family should meet a dog before adopting too, just to make sure that uh, they're all compatible. Um, we need to yeah. talk more about this. This is an interesting subject. You know, kids and dogs. So anyone, anything you want to break up uh, in different uh, areas to cover, like you know, each week we can do this. So Pianki, just okay. to let you and everybody else know that, that yeah, uh, Tara's a regular now, so she's one of our regular reporters. We'll be on Friday mornings at 7 o'clock, uh, right before Derek and the financial report. And so if you have questions, feel free to call in, you know, post up ahead of time, put it on live chat, you know, anything that, that works. So in the, we must not getting you more time, but in, in the time left, um, who's available? What's, what's, who's like the prime dog or dogs that we should be uh, placing at this point? Excuse me. Okay, so let me see. So we always talk about Molly, and I'll always briefly mention her every week until she gets adopted. She's our longest resident. Came from a a legal hold case we had uh, a year ago, February. She cannot be with other pets, probably doesn't need to be with kids, but if you're just an adult and you just want a wonderful dog, she's extremely house trained. She doesn't bark. When she gets to know you, she's an amazing dog, loves to play. She's very Mm -hmm. clean. She doesn't get into trash. Yeah, she's just yep. fantastic, but it does take her a bit to warm up, and she has had probably a traumatic past, and we don't know, obviously, because she can't tell us, but just from the conditions she was brought in from, it was not great. So prior to that, I don't know where she came from. But um, So we always talk about Molly, and until she gets adopted, we'll always mention her. Um, mm-hmm. As far as kittens and cats, we have adopted a lot of kitties over the past couple of weeks, but we still do have several in adoption. Um, we have... Winter, who is an amazing adult cat, and she's the one I mentioned before that she has uh, FIV, which is the feline immunodeficiency virus. Basically, Mm -hmm. her own body uh, immune system kind of attacks itself. So that's something that can be spread to another cat. So ideally, she would go to a home with no other cats or a, a cat that already has that virus, or she can go to a home with dogs. But she's a beautiful black and white cat. She's very friendly, and she definitely is affectionate once she gets to know you. So we're hoping to find a really good and proper home for her. As far as dogs, so we have, I'm trying to think who our, our big one is we're working on right now. We have 
I have my favorite. So there was a, a <laughs> our officers. Yeah, we'll we'll just do based on my favorite. So we have sure. uh, three dogs that came in and they were um, caught in traps. So someone dumped them out on Deaton Bridge here, which is kind of uh. out out in the rural area and right. so they were out there for a while we got many calls so we ended up having to set a trap to get the dogs so all of them were trapped brought in they were absolutely terrified when they got here our staff has worked really hard to kind of bring them around and so they are all available for adoption so there's there are three of them one is named dodge and they're all about 40 pounds or so nothing nothing too big um, they're mm -hmm. all just mixed breed um, don't look like they have any bully in them probably just maybe some hounds and maybe some lab or something. We kind of lab is our generic go-to if we don't really know. So, but it's um, and they're real <laughs> cute. They have <laughs> yeah, exactly. Idea, so right. I think these when guys have like one blue eye on each of them. So there might be a little catahoula in there somewhere along the way as well. But um, oh. two of them are, are still pretty fearful, and we're working on with them. They're kind of uh, can be a little reactive to people they don't know. They're like, ah, oh, who are you? But mm -hmm. once they're comfortable, great dogs walk nicely on leash. The third one, his um, so that's Dodge and uh, Chip. And so the third one is named Irwin, and he's a little tan and white guy. And he was just all beat up when he got here. One of the techs brought him into our office. So we just basically took turns laying on the floor with him so he was comfortable and coming up to us. And then now it's like he'll lick your face clean off when he sees you because he's just so happy. He loves to play with toys. <laughs> he's walking on leash now when he he was terrified of a leash before. So just really seen a really turnaround with him, and he's a great little dog. I think he'd probably be okay with kids probably eight and up or so, but he's fantastic. He's about 40 pounds, just the friendliest little guy, very young, and so I think he would make a great family pet. Um, and that's why another thing we encourage our people when they come in, you know, spend some time and take that dog out of the kennel because in the kennel they're going to be barking and sometimes right. they act super obnoxious in the kennel and you're like, no one wants a dog that's going to so you you know, do this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So they, we have a meet and greet yard staff? area. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you oh, can go okay. outside. Yeah, um, we okay. don't have a like a trail or anything, but we do have a, a play yard that we can have the family go out to if they'd rather stay in the AC. We can just okay. have them come into the office and spend some time with them and just kind of see if they feel like it's a match. But I feel like even for anybody that comes in, we can probably find a pet to match them with, you know, and make sure it's a good fit for the family. Because we do have mm – -hmm. the only thing we don't have right now, we don't have any small dogs. We'll have maybe – I think we have one that's on medical hold that may be coming up, um, an older Chihuahua. So we're still kind of working with him. He's a little little snippy at the moment, so we're seeing if he's going to come around. Um, <laughs> and if he doesn't, chihuahua. we'll just keep working with what him. Yeah, and Chihuahuas are they're particular, so you got to find that right home for them. But um, right. everybody else, you know, is probably a medium to a large size, um, probably 20 on up to 100 pounds. So just depending on what you're looking for your lifestyle. Wow. Um, I want to encourage people in different states if they want to call in or live chat or anybody internationally that's listening as well, you know, feel free to do this because uh, you're so good at this and you've got such insights into people. Oh, and thanks. I appreciate that. Oh, no problem. And matching people up. I mean, I was really impressed when I went out to the shelter. I'd been there once before and I'm not sure in what capacity. It's probably Action Radio or something or other, but it's probably about uh -huh. three, maybe four years ago. It's probably back at WBY. Anyway, um, mm -hmm. but just to go out again and just see the detail and the amount of work, and there's a dog in every room. I mean, every office has a dog. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's, <laughs> yes. it's pretty incredible. Um, but just, it's, it's, you know, and something we probably mention every time, too, that you don't do routine euthanasia. Uh, I think people think of dog shelters as like an end point for their dog, and three days later they're all gone. And that's just not the case anymore. Right. 
So we should right. mention so that. Right. So yeah, that's not what we're doing now. So um, we are actually at no-kill status, which means 90% or more animals um, get a, a positive outcome, either returned to their owner, transferred mm -hmm. to rescue, or adopted out. And so there's that 10% window, and that covers things such as an animal that has a medical issue that cannot be treated, because we do a lot right. of medical treatment. We send um, dogs and cats out for specialty surgeries if we have the funds, and that's just basically covering, say, an animal um, is you know, at death's door, maybe he came in and he has cancer or the dog was hit by a car or, or something like that that we just cannot fix. That allows for that. And then also behavior euthanasia, which is something that isn't talked about as much, but, you know, we want to save every pet, but sometimes if there's a safety issue, if a dog comes in on a bite case and he has a history of biting people and he's a danger, you know, then that would be something that would be euthanized. Or if the dog declines rapidly due to mental health at the shelter, which has happened before because this is a tough place for animals to be so but we try everything right. we can to combat that before it gets to that point so but that is something that is you know does happen from time to time and so it's not but it's not an everyday occurrence <clears throat> excuse me um mm -hmm. but so for the most part we're you know we used to be one of the highest uh, euthanasia shelters in the state and we are now at no-kill status so we're super proud of that and we obviously couldn't have done that without the support and the drive of the community who really just pushed for that and they're like hey mm -hmm. we don't want this anymore we you know we want to help these animals so that's how we've been able to make a change i would say like so we started in, in 2018 when we changed some um, rules here. We used to not adopt out pit bulls, and that was like an instant death sentence for over, probably half of our dogs. And so wow. that changed, that helped a lot, and then now we've just incorporated other things. We have vet on staff. We do vaccinations on intake, and so all those things have kind of worked together to just really help the animal community. The only other problem we still have is that too many cats out there that are not altered, so we have our community cat days to try to help with that. And then just basically getting people to come here to realize, like, because people think of this as a sad place, and it can be, but the way that we make it less sad is by people to, you know, donate or volunteer or, or come up and adopt, and that's how it gets better. So we just encourage the community to, to participate and be involved because these are not my animals or my yep. boss's animals. These are the county's animals. These are community's animals. Somebody somewhere has not taken care of them or, <clears throat> excuse me, not picked them up or whatever it is that, that got them here. It's not their fault. So we want to remind people, like, these are someone's pets that they couldn't or wouldn't care for, so let's try to let's remedy that and find them a proper home. So. Right. We're going to have Derek here in just a minute, so let's get to any events that are going on in the area. Uh, and I also encourage other shelters if they want to call yeah, in, too, because you, you guys are so knowledgeable. Uh, and then communication stuff, and let's get Pianchi's last question. Go ahead, Pianchi. We'll have to be quick. You know, it, it, uh, when I was a kid, you know, dogs, when a dog feels that they're about ready to leave, they would run off, and they'd run off in the woods and die. They don't want to be yeah. around their loved ones. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but that does happen. Yeah, we do have, I know we have we have people that have said that, that their dogs like, or cats too as well, when if they're indoor outdoor, they will just kind of go off. And some animals do tend to do that if they're sick or injured. They kind of kind of isolate themselves and go off. And I still think a lot of them do that as well. We We do have people that will let us know that that happens, so. Okay. Let's get events in contact. And uh, like I say, Derek's not here, but I'm sure he will be any second. So, uh, okay. Yeah. So, um, up, yeah. let's see. Upcoming events we have, um, I'm trying to look at my board here. We have uh -huh. uh, August 1st. 
So uh, Texas Roadhouse here in Milton is doing a dine and donate. So to, I think it's like 10% or uh, I don't have my flyer here, but I believe it's 10%. Anyway, they're going to do dine and donate, which means if people go in and eat dinner, we will get a percentage of the fees. So it's a it's a good fundraiser for us to raise a few bucks to help the animals. So we would encourage you. We all love Texas Roadhouse, so that's a great day to do, to go and have some yummy steak or whatever. And that's August <laughs> 1st. We're also going to um, have irony. some pets there. <laughs> fundraising for the animal shelter at a steakhouse. Don't ask me why. Yeah, I just find that exactly. funny. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. But we are um, are actually going to be there as well. We're not. I think either from three to five or four to six, we'll have a couple pets out there. So if folks wanted to go have a nice meal and then come out and take a pet home, I mean they could do that as well. So we'll be out there with a couple cuties for everyone to meet, and that's August first. And then I think that's all we have for the next uh, coming up in the next week or so. Oh, okay. um, we still are doing our Bissell event, uh, which is five dollar adoption until the end of July and you come in you just fill out some paperwork it's the same adoption procedure as always but you just have to pay a five dollar fee and that includes spay and neuter microchipping and all age-appropriate vaccinations okay I got to hold you up only because we got Derek so just get let's get quickly get Facebook page website phone number address and then um, we'll do it next week okay sounds good so Santa Rosa Animal Services 4451 Pine Forest Road Milton Florida our phone number is 850-983-4680 website is Santa Rosa dot L whoops slash animals or you can check us out on Facebook Santa Rosa County Animal Services you're so good and if you did folks just catch the podcast thank you thanks Tara we'll talk yeah. next week all right. all right thanks talk to you yeah. next week okay bye bye now Money. What is it? How does it work? How do you get it to work for you? So many choices. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, commodities. And then there are the markets. Oil, gold, manufacturing, trade, energy, even government. To make sense of all the places your money can go, Derek Park, our Action Radio financial reporter, joins us Fridays at this time to make sense of the markets and your money. Yeah, remember when things were quiet around here on a Friday and now things we were busy. We got tired of and we've got Derek right away and it doesn't get quiet till the second hour. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Good, good. How are you doing? I'm well. I thought I'd marked my calendar wrong or forgot to put on whether you're on or not because uh, uh, it's summertime and, and you got stuff to do, but I'm glad you're here. There's a lot happening. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the IRS and, and the whistleblowers. I'm kind of curious about that. Not so much from a financial perspective, but I'm just curious if that's – well, maybe it is affecting the markets. Um, well, let me ask you right now then. With the fact that we've got whistleblowers and we've got you know, the privileged – you know, avoiding taxes and things like that. Is that, I don't know, I guess changing how people feel about taxes or more and more people saying, well, I don't want to pay if they're not paying, you know, is, is it um, changing? Uh, I don't know. Um, perceptions. Is anything, is there any fallout from the whistleblower IRS stuff and the fact that the Bidens are not paying their taxes? Is there any visible fallout right now? I say right yeah. now, no. Um, okay. Should there be? Yes. Um, you know, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, Trump, Trump was uh, put a, put under a microscope, you know, for right. everything he did. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, I, I just find it very convenient that the same standard isn't being held to, to the to the other guy. Um, yeah. You know, so, um, you know, I mean, I just saw another thing on the news where, um, you know, uh, and they were absolutely right where when uh, Trump went over to England, he accidentally stepped in front of the queen. 
and he realized what he did. He stopped and corrected it and then made sure he put her at a side over in England. And, right. you know, he was crucified in CNN and, 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 you know, MSNBC. Oh, gosh, the disrespect. Biden just went over there and freaking stayed in front of the king the whole time. Like, oh, he tapped him on the, nobody said, tapped him on the shoulder or did all kinds of things. You, just, you don't touch yeah. the king. You don't touch the queen. That's just yeah. – that, nobody, that nobody said a dang word. Um, you know, so there's, a, there's an apparent, there's an apparent yeah. double standard. So the IRS stuff, um, you know, not, not really sure what's going to happen with it. Um, you know, not really sure it's going to affect the markets. Um, you know, I mean, obviously – uh, it's something that should be concerned, but in my personal opinion, it's uh, yeah. something w- that will never gain the traction of what's going on with a uh, you know former president. Yeah. Well, I wasn't so much interested in that. It's just perceptions. Now, do you work with people in taxes at all, or is that not part of your? Um, no, no. So we're 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 not allowed to advise um, on taxes. Now we can give okay. people windows and stuff like that. So typically, when I do planning with folks, you know, I mean, I sit down and say, hey, you know, based on your income, your tax bracket's going to end up somewhere around in here. So here's what we need to do to be more efficient tax wise. So do we understand it? Yes, we understand it. Um, you know, enough to make sure to be efficient with it. Uh, do we know, you know, the details on certain things? No. Um, you know, typically I, I advise go see a tax professional and, you know, I, I refer to a, a handful of people to, to, you know, take care of people's needs. Right. You'd have to be, a, I guess, a certified public accountant or a financial, there's like a higher level before you could do work like that, right? Is that how it works? No, you don't. You don't have to be. Um, you know, there there is a, oh, okay. a tax course you can take. Um, you know, to do people's taxes and stuff like that. Most of the programs mm-hmm. will do most of it for you. Uh, you know, here's here's kind of my issue with it. You know, when you go to companies like H and R Block, Jackson Hewitt, you know, I mean, you mm-hmm. have people there that have taken a very basic tax course to you know, and and a, a software course, so they can plug in your numbers. You know, for something that you don't want to spend the time doing. And that's, mm-hmm. that's perfectly fine, but they charge you an inordinate amount of money to do that. Um, right. And then sometimes in certain aspects, things get overlooked, um, you know, especially people with businesses that can itemize and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I commonly ask people, I'm like, where do you get your taxes done? Um, you know, and they're like, hey, I go here. And I'm like, eh. You know, hey, let's get you <laughs> let's let's get you tucked in with somebody that uh, that understands this a little bit more. So, you know, I mean, you have layers of tax people. You have your your you know pop up uh, seasonal tax people. You have uh, you know tax companies that may not have right. a CPA there, but um, they typically, when you have a tax company um, that's an independent, they have what's called an enrolled agent. Um, and uh-huh. what an enrolled agent is is somebody that has a specific IRS number that they can call, and there's no there's no wait. You know, they have a number, they call in, they punch in this number, and they can get into somebody and start asking questions and stuff like that. So <clears throat> they're typically a little bit more astute than your standard run of the mill tax person. Um, and then you've got uh, you know uh, uh, accountants who are you know not necessarily certified, and then CPAs. Wow. Yeah, I know there's a whole different level. And there's like a financial, there's like a, like a friend of mine, I can't think of his name right now, but he's got a master's in wealth management. And, uh, you know, and that's what he does is like taxes at the extreme level. It's probably who you know, I might chat with, you know, once we have, you know, multi-millions coming into action radio. But I was just seeing the perception mm-hmm. of people, you know, how is it, when people get away with things, they're rich and famous, they think, well, why can't I do that? So I'm wondering how many people are saying, well, if the Bidens aren't going to pay their taxes, why should I? Well, you know, why don't I just take that extra deduction or, or try this or try that? I'm just curious perception-wise. 
you know, and, and what, what effect that might have on, on government revenue that they're probably not entitled to anyway. But I know a lot of people will overpay their taxes because they're scared of an audit. Oh, no. Or they go see a, a so-called tax professional, as you said, and they might only have a, a basic course. I've always done my own. And the reason I do that is because I don't mind, you know, reading the instructions. I don't mind going through it. And if it says you can do this, then I do this. But I know a lot of people, even if it says you can do this, they still don't. Because there's a perception there that the IRS is going to come after them. But if you read the instructions, follow them, and, and you know, fell, especially now with computer stuff like, uh, you know, free tax, USA, TurboTax, how, can, how much easier can it get? They're, they're checking it for you. It's almost like a pre-audit, you know, to use these things. Yeah. So why not? Well, why would you go to somebody else? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, look at, look at it like this. Um, you, know, uh, you know, when, when uh, Trump was campaigning, you know, Hillary Clinton was like, you know, well, you know, if we had a president that paid his taxes and he goes, I do pay my taxes. You know, he says, uh, you, you know, I, I use the system to avoid paying certain taxes just like you do, just like everybody else does. Yeah, you know, I mean, he exactly. called it out. And, I mean, all he was basically saying and, – and, and, and listen, you know, I'll put this in perspective, you know, uh -huh. uh, Democrats and Republicans alike. There is nobody that walks in my office and clearly goes, hey, I want to make sure I pay my fair share of taxes. Nobody does. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everybody, everybody comes in and says, you know, um, hey, how do I do this? You know, I use the word efficient because it's professional, you know, but they're like, I don't want to pay any taxes. You know what I mean? Like, so, well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm just being as, yeah. as, as clear as I can about that. You know, I mean, the government, you know, has plenty of money to to, you know, uh, do what they need to do with and and yeah. abuse it. You know, so do they need any more? No. So I try no. to be as efficient as I can. But, you know, you look at what happened with uh, what was the there was a case being brought against Trump for his tax stuff. Where'd that go, mm -hmm. right? That's a big nothing well, they, because they, uh, they went through. He gets, he gets audited every time he – he's rich enough. I'm sure he gets audited every time he files. Billionaires, I'm sure, get audited. Absolutely. Because if the uh, IRS, billionaires actually have, have a team that's assigned to them that review oh, everything. Really? So, yeah. At um, the IRS? Elon Musk. This out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elon Musk, when somebody said something about pay, pay your fair share or something like that when all this <laughs> stuff was going on, you know, when Biden got elected, he goes, hey, he goes, do you have a specific team that's assigned to you that reviews every little thing that you possibly do? No, you don't. I do. Right. You know, so billionaires have that. And that's to make sure that they are paying their fair share and they're, they're not skirting things. So, you know, Trump Trump has has those same people. Right. Um, yeah, you that's know, why they didn't find anything in the yeah. audits yeah, when they released his taxes. Oh, like, sure. He's audited every single time, which is what I thought. Well, but I'm just know, thinking we got, yeah. his, we got his tax returns leaked, and, and everybody's like, yeah. oh, no, you know, he only paid this in taxes, but he had this in income. Well, you know, it was only a few pages. It wasn't the whole return, but what it was was right. it, it, it showed him writing off, you know, billions or hundreds of millions or whatever. I don't know what it was. You know, but writing off mass amounts of money in mm -hmm. real estate issues. You know what I mean? Which yeah, I will tell yeah. you. You know, I, I have guys that have bunches of rentals, and they do this every single year. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 part of the it's part of the tax game. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, I find it also funny that uh, you know again, you know, they brought up his tax issues, and it, it turned into a nothing burger because there was nothing there. You know, this so, is all fascinating. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I got I got a question before. Oh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I, I, I was just going to say. You know, I mean, the, the result is is now we're now we're running in the same thing with with the current administration. You know, <laughs> and and it might even get bigger than that. You know, and I mean, I think this is the problem when when people want to surrender their taxes. You know, it's like, you know, 
I had people that are like, well, why can't he just turn over his taxes? I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, you give me your taxes. Well, no, I don't want to do that. I said, see how that works? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There's something called privacy, you know, and there's something called due process right. and search warrants, and and uh, yeah, that's yeah. just you know, safe in your person's home papers, papers, folks, papers that's and right. effects. It's in the Constitution. Yeah. Oh God, I absolutely. You know, so, yeah. so they're like, well, you know, the president should should have you know an exception, and I'm like, well, it's not written in law for right now. So what you're what you're telling me right now is a feeling and a and a mm-hmm. consideration, not what's law. Yeah. You know, so yes. you know, no no difference. Oh, it looks like Pianki has a question. Go ahead, why, do people, why do people have an animosity for folks, for individuals that are quote-unquote rich and not understanding, unless you just buy a winning lottery ticket, there's a lot of work and sacrifice that goes to get to that position. So why is there so much animosity? Yeah, I'm curious too. I, that's that's a that's a society and a psychological issue. You know what I mean? It's also a it's also a um, uh, uh, culture issue. You know, what I mean, if you go to other countries, which you know mm-hmm. I've seen many, you know, when people make money, it's considered a a sign of respect. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. like they immediately respect them because they know that they built a business, they sacrificed, they've done all that stuff. You come over to the U.S. where people and selfishness reigns, right? You know, what I mean, so I, I would say, why is it? It's because of jealousy. You know what I mean? Jealousy, envy. You know, what I mean, all the seven deadly sins, right? You know, what I mean, it, you know, would you would you argue that a person needs that kind of wealth? No, most of these people that have that, if you go look at what they donate per year. You know, I mean, like there's very many of them. They have to do that um, because they they have so many tax issues. Um, you know, so why is it, uh, Pianchi? My gosh, I don't know. I mean, it's you know, I mean, I've experienced this in my own family. You know, what I mean, it's like just just doing the right thing and and being, you know, a, a control of my finances has has you know gotten fingers pointed at me. You know what I mean? And and I'm not you know super wealthy by any means, but you know, fascinating. Yeah, this, no, this is amazing. And, and it, happens, it didn't used to be that it way. That social group. Yeah, our country didn't used to be that way. Industrialists, inventors, you know, people that were rich were, were looked up to at one point. It was, you know, a thing to be proud of, to be able to have built a big business or be a big industrialist. They used to be heroes. Remember Lee Iacocca at, uh, at Ford and Chrysler, you know, a corporate CEO, right. was hugely looked up to. He created the minivan. You know, so there was a time, uh, you know, like the Jobs and Wozniak, you know, with the computers. So there was a time when, when wealth was not a problem, unless it was exploitive. You know, that, you know, if you get to the robber barons, you know, and you, and you think of the horrible working conditions, child labor and things like that, that's a different story. But as for someone accomplishing things, we didn't used to be such a leftist, selfish uh, um, country. I got one question, and then I want to get into the report. But uh, I was just thinking sure. back to taxes again. I got um, one more question, too, after you, Greg. Okay, well, that sounds good. Yeah, um, so my question is, how many people, uh, well, people that prepare taxes, especially the ones that are, that are marginally qualified, like, or at least barely qualified, how many people of those folks are more worried about their, their license and their, their charter or their job than they are about maximizing deductions? In other words, would they, you know, depending on how aggressive you are, as an individual, I can be as aggressive as the instructions allow me to be. Right. And so I don't mind taking deductions. Well, and if there's a problem, the IRS, OK, well, pay, you know, it's OK, I was wrong. No big deal. Um, but people, I think, but I've, I've known folks that have gone to tax people and I said, well, how about this deduction? Or why didn't you do a Schedule C? Or why didn't you do, you've got a business? Why didn't you deduct that? Well, my accountant, my person, my tax preparer, my 
you know, what, you know, company X person said, I really shouldn't do that. Are people getting bad advice out there because the, the, uh, the, the agents are more worried about their job and their certificate, whatever it is, than actually maximizing um, deductions and, and credits and things like that? So this is kind of a multi-layered question. I would say that it, I, I would agree that it probably exists, but let me explain, um, you know, one of the guys that I refer to how he looks at it. He says, okay. listen, you know, the, the, the law is one line and the tax, uh, you know, tax, you know, considerations are another line. He said, I'm going to get you right up to the edge of it, you know, okay. because he says, you know, I want to try to maximize whatever I possibly can do for you, but I also don't want to jeopardize, you know, getting me in trouble because I do have, when I put my stamp on there, I am saying, hey, everything in here is good to go, and I'm I'm signing off on your return. Right. Right. So um, does it happen? Now, uh, another, you know, giving you another layer, which, you know, might be a little bit too much information, but, you know, obviously with the standard deduction change, which went up under the current, uh, under the Trump administration, um, mm-hmm. it is really hard to itemize for anybody unless you own a business. Right. Yeah. So, well, so you know, yeah. tax, tax advice, you know, people are like, well, you know, I mean, they didn't advise me to do that. Well, you probably couldn't even do it. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's uh, unless you own a business and you have a way to itemize. Um, mm-hmm. deferring any taxes or, or avoiding them is extremely hard now. Yeah. Well, I have business expense because I run Action Radio. So, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty easy for me. <laughs> anyway, Pianchi, go ahead. You know, another thing, Derek, that's in the news, and, and plenty like to throw it out there, is called disparity in wealth, disparity in equity. And I know you Ooh. heard it. And we're talking about ethnic groups. So... Mm-hmm. What is the best way, and I have my suggestion. My suggestion is education and education in the right thing that's highly demand and it pays a good wage and salary. But what's your opinion? Why is it that we find people who don't have the ability to do that and they find themselves being the subject matter of these new words like disparity and equity? What is your best way to prevent that in people? Uh, teach them to make better financial decisions. Um, you know, that's that's like saying that you know, if you have if you have two two kids, right, uh, from two different ethnic groups, one has grown up inner city in some of the you know low cost of living areas, and one is out in the country living in a living in a shack or a, a single wide trailer. Would you agree that both of these kids are both um, you know financially challenged in their situations? You know, most. Most would say yes, right? Okay, um, you know, no matter what their their ethnicity, race, or anything like this, if both of them made good choices, went to school, at least graduated high school, and maintained some type of a job and tried to work their way through stuff, lived below their means, would you agree that both of them would be successful? Well, from personal experience, yes. Yeah. So, so, and 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 that's good that you would say that. So that would put them ahead of anybody else. So what people believe is is that they don't have a chance to make those decisions. They think because of where they live or you know, what, what type of person they are, what ethnicity, what race, that they don't have a leg up on that, and they're taught that. They're taught that from people, and it doesn't matter who it is. I'm not going to point any fingers at any of them, you know, but you know, what happens is, is these people don't make these decisions and then want to blame society for it when they could have influenced every, every bit of that themselves. That's a great answer. Yeah. Yeah, it's an so, interesting discussion. Yeah. 
Well, let's get to the report before we get uh, totally out of time here. Um, do you have to go right at the top of the hour, Derek? Yep. You probably do. Yeah, 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 I do. Today. Well, I might, I might get an extra five minutes or so, but. Okay, up to you. We always aim for the top. In the middle, yeah. In the middle of making me some breakfast right now, but. <laughs> if we hear the frying pan, yeah. if we if if you drop something on the floor, we'll know about it. Okay, fine. <laughs> no, no, I got you. No worries. Um, okay. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. This is uh, Derek with the Action Radio Financial Report. Uh, technology stocks falter after large cap earnings disappoint. Stock markets were mixed on Thursday as the Dow Jones was higher, while the technology heavy Nasdaq was sharp lower over two percent. This comes after large cap tech companies Tesla and Netflix reported disappointing second quarter earnings. Today's market represented a shift in recent trends as value in defensive sectors, including utilities and healthcare, led the way higher, while consumer discretionary was sharply lower. Nonetheless, the NASDAQ remains higher over 34% year-to-date, with Tesla up over 115% and Netflix up 48% despite weakness on Thursday. Treasury yields move higher as well, as investors anticipate an additional rate hike by the Fed Reserve, Federal Reserve next week. The two-year Treasury yield was higher around 0.10%, with uh, it at 4.85%, nearing its recent high of over 5%. I want to read this next one because I think it's very important. Jobless claims surprise to the downside. U.S. weekly job claims on Thursday came in below expectations at 228,000 versus the estimate of 240,000. Um, so just needed that that article because, um, you know, obviously our labor market is, is staying very resilient, which according to the National Economic Bureau, I can't remember what their name is, That's the that says whether we've been in recession or not. That, that labor statistic is really what's holding us back. But let me finish here. The U.S. equities closed lower with the Dow Jones up 164 points or 0.47 to 35,225. NASDAQ closed down 295 points or 2.05% 2. to 14,063. And S&P 500 closed down 31 points or 0.68 to 4535. Uh, in the commodity markets, the price of crude oil was up 0.45 or 0.6 to 75.74, and the spot price of gold was down $9 or 0.45 to 1971.80. This is Derek Park of the Action Radio Financial Report. You can get me at 850-995-0082. Yeah, we should give you the international code if people want to call it <laughs> international. I think 011 uh, is the U.S. code. Yeah. Um, let's go right to that economic, the, the jobs report, because I agree with you. But, the, 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 but that is skewed, though, because they're still paying, I think, people either at the state or federal or both levels uh, in certain cases not to work. And people are not considered right. un, unemployed unless they are, are looking for a job and don't have one. But if they're not looking at, right. uh, for a job because they've got some kind of, you know, government socialist welfare benefit, they're not counted as unemployed, even though they're not working and they're in the working age group of what, 18 to 65, right? That, is, that, is that considered the, the working age group, basically? Um, yes, that would be. Uh, well, 67. Oh, 67 for full, for full retirement. Yeah. Okay. All right. So is that skewing the market and is that being done on purpose? So that it doesn't look um, like there's a recession. Oh, that's a that's a, that's that 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 uh, gets into the you know the, the politics of things. But I would say, um, is it being done on purpose? I would say no. And the reason I say that is because those statistics have been collected the same way for so many years that okay. you know people get in the habit of saying, you know, hey, we've done it this way, so we're not going to change it. Um, you know, so is it right? No, not necessarily. So then pointing at the other direction, you know, is it skewed because of 
COVID and people going back to work and many other things? Absolutely. Um, okay. You know, so uh, is, it, is it recognized? I would say probably no. All right. So that makes sense. So, so the labor and statistics people, you know, they're there, administration, administration, they're pretty decent people. They, they do their job. They actually find real numbers and they're not politically driven. Can we assume most of them are that way? That's the yeah, numbers I would, are pretty I good. I would make that assumption. Yeah. I okay. think that's a, that's right. a fair assessment. Um, you know, is, is it saying that, uh, you know, there's not people there burning the numbers? No. You know. <laughs> yeah, no, nothing's perfect. Now, I'm not asking that, but generally the people that work in labor and statistics, uh, they're actually trying to put out the best information, I would say. That would, sure. You know, I mean, that, I, I, okay. I would agree to that, and I mean, I think okay. that's, that's fair. You know, yeah. I mean, are, uh, is, there, is there somebody in administration that is kind of controlling those numbers saying, hey, we need to put these numbers? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure there's some bean counter that, that, that's controlling that and saying, hey, you know, we need to continue to put these numbers. You know I mean? I would... Yeah. I would argue that, you know, um <laughs> if if they could save off a recession for a year and a half, they'll do it. <laughs> well, especially in just, election year. Just, I mean, we've got uh, we got 2024 coming up here and the election season starts after Labor Day uh for the 2024 uh, election. So, so this is we're we're almost there. We're this is yeah. the calm before the storm. Um so if they can there's make a, the numbers a weird with, statistic go ahead. says uh-huh. every Republican has seen a recession. And that is marginally true, um, but you have to understand what what uh, what policies were made that caused that to happen. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So you you have to keep that in mind. You know, so yeah, the previous you know, Democrat. Under, <laughs> Usually, it's the previous Democrat that causes. You know, Reagan had a horrible recession his first you know year or so caused by Jimmy Carter, but he, Carter didn't get the blame for it. Reagan did because because there's a lag time right. of like a year, year and a half for most economic policies. Okay, and let me ask you that. had nothing to do with that. <laughs> Yeah, how about that? Well, I know a couple of things. I know that uh, um, Bill Clinton changed the way numbers were measured. So I know he changed yeah. um, unemployment. So it used to, what was considered, you know, in the, in the Depression era, uh, I think it was like 22 to 25 percent unemployment. Bill Clinton changed the numbers, brought out the U6 and brought out some other things. So it didn't look as bad. But in actual fact, if you, yeah. if, you, if you go by the classic numbers, the unemployment under, I think, Clinton and Obama was, you know, anywhere. And I had Walter Williams on the show confirming this back when he was still alive. You know, the, the unemployment was like, you know, 15 to 20 percent, depending on what time we we're talking about. And they were reporting, you know, three to five. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> but they're using different indexes. And see, this is where I'm saying. So labor and statistics is putting out good information. But the media and, and the current administ- political administration is only putting out the most favorable numbers. And it's actually skewing public perception that's what i'm thinking oh yeah yeah, yeah. i mean I, I would agree to that yeah okay well, let me ask one more question i'll give pianki a chance to um i noticed that the the worker participation rate which is the i figure i think is one of the most valuable when it comes to uh employment uh 63 pre-covid and they're saying it's like 62 percent now which only is one percent change but that's millions of people that are not working that yeah. could be so have you right. is no, that that's, that's go ahead has that popped up on the on the radar of everybody no not yet i would say um you okay. know i mean when when you know the news starts getting a hold of things and starts announcing recession i would say then it will become relevant <laughs> okay interesting but that's that to me is a much more accurate number than the, the many of the U's. we should go over the the unemployment numbers at some point if you want to do that maybe next week you know you one through six just so people know what we're talking about pianki do you have another question before derek has to go yeah, I heard that Janice, Janice Yeltsin, our Secretary of Treasury, was floating an idea about letting foreign 
entity control collect the taxes in the United States, basically resourcing it out. Outsourcing? (laughs) Outsourcing our taxes? Wow. I I haven't heard that, Um, you know, so I, you know, it'd have to be something that I'd research. You know, I have heard that they're talking about going for those that like, you know, uh, that that their taxes are pretty, pretty set forward, like they're on a W-2 and all they're doing is a 401k. They're talking about going to a no report system because bottom line is every time when you're when you go file your taxes, you're just confirming what the IRS already knows. So are they checking our honesty? or I mean, what's the purpose? Like you said, most people, yeah, that's, standard deduction that's, that's kind of the, takes it. care of everything, yeah. right? That's kind of the it. And then, you know, there's also stories on, you know, lobbyists that say, um, you know, that, that you know, there, there's, you know, the tax system, TurboTax, and all these people pay them to keep their businesses going. Does that make sense? Who's paying to keep their businesses going? The, these, these companies, you know, Jackson Hewitt, H&R Block. Um, you know, it's, if they went to a zero reporting system, their, their business would be cut and cut to a third of what it is. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, but uh, it does make sense, but that's, we don't have buggy whips because we don't have buggies. You know, life goes on. Yeah. Things change. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I get it. You know, I mean, I'm just, just saying <laughs> things that I know that's been said. We don't generate work just for the sake of employing people for a job that doesn't need to be done. That's, that's, I mean, that's what a free market's all about is that, you know, when the market changes, you know, you don't do that job anymore. You know, how many black do we have? You know, how many, how many horse poop scoopers do we have? Very few. Why? Because we don't have horses, you know, running around. We've got got cars, we've got different things. So it's it's quite fascinating. Okay. Um, I got on call here. I'm looking up the number right now. Um, but, um, because I don't have anybody scheduled for this hour. We're going to talk about the, the moon landing or lack thereof. So that might be someone, you know, calling about that, but we'll find out in a bit. Um, Derek, anything else? And then uh, let's get you out of here and we'll get you no, next week. No, okay. I got to gotta, gotta get today again, um, you know, but uh, it's always always good. Uh, you know, your last person on there, I will go support cows by going to Texas Roadhouse. I love cow. Okay. That's, wasn't that fascinating? They're doing a fundraiser for animals at, at the steakhouse. I just find that funny. <laughs> Okay. Thanks, Derek. Take no, care. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Again, yeah, this is Derek with the uh, Action Radio Financial Report. If you uh, need to call, it's uh, 850-995-0082. Yep. And again, if you miss it, catch the podcast. Thanks, Derek. Um, yep. looks, Thanks. Like Mike, or looks like Mike called in an hour early, which is fine with me. So Mike Clinch um, is, is our, our, our Mr. Science, and we haven't heard from him for a while. And Mike, you're always welcome to call on a Friday. You know, so feel free to uh, to do so. But I wanted to talk. I was going to do a, like a prep hour on these articles I found on the moon landing. But uh, we'll just get that since you're here right now. Let's talk about this and, and just to get folks up to a date on what happened. I made a posting yesterday on Facebook saying, uh, "Hey, congratulations, moon landing 54 years ago today. Isn't this great?" And all you lunatics that don't believe it, you know. <laughs> What's wrong with you? We, we did actually land. And all these folks started coming on. There's like 60 comments on my Facebook post. And they're all saying, uh, no, we didn't land on the moon. And no, it was Hollywood. And it was a Disney set. It's like, what's wrong with you people? And I've come to the conclusion that uh, a lot of the division, not, not exclusively, but a lot of the division comes from people that were alive when it happened. In other words, me. You know, people over 60. Uh, and a lot of the skeptics are under 60 because they, they weren't there. They didn't see it. They didn't see the excitement, the worldwide, you know, TV coverage. I mean, I was in Australia when this happened, and everybody 
you know, the whole country was glued to their sets. My principal even called us out of school, and it was in a small middle school at this point, part of a bigger private school, and we all gathered around this, this you know, the largest black and white TV they had because they didn't even have color yet. We're watching, you know, Neil Armstrong step down and, and misquote, one step for man. He should have said one step for a man. He always regretted that, by the way. Uh, one giant step for mankind. So we all watched that, and yet people think it didn't happen. That's one hell of a hoax if it didn't happen. Hey, Mike. I think a lot. I think a lot of it, uh, well, first, let me start our discussion. I Uh want to wish my wife happy anniversary. Uh, Happy anniversary, uh, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. I think one of the things, because my family is so steeped in military Uh tradition and so on, I'd first like to offer, uh, let's do a memorial for the 15 to 20 individuals who gave up their lives. Yeah. For exploring space, when it started with you know, it started with uh, Apollo One right. on the launch pad when they had that fire in 1969, Gus Fritz, White, and Robert Chafee, yep. uh, who were killed. And and I think before we start this discussion, I think we need to t- just take a second and think about the people who went before us. You know what is they say on the shoulders of giants? A lot oh, of listen, people. Action that. radios on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so it was the Challenger crew. It was um, the, the Apollo One. Cl- was that was I mean Columbia? Was Isn't Columbia that was Challenger? Fire? Columbia was the yeah. one that exploded. Both. They both yeah. exploded. No, I, no, I no. Was only Columbia one. burned up on reentry. Columbia burned up on reentry. Challenger blew up on takeoff. That was the one where the solid rocket boosters leaked. I remember that one, but so I don't remember Challenger, Columbia. What happened with Columbia? Yeah, Columbia oh. was re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. Remember when it took off, a piece of the foam had punched a hole in the left-hand wing, right. left side. And as yeah. they re-entered the atmosphere, the hot gases got in there and tore the, unfortunately, uh, whole vehicle apart. So, I don't remember you know, that. I apologize. Yeah. Yeah, oh, no, another no, one. Uh, Hope Yankee remembers that. One of the early ones was when you had a... Uh, a fire, and that was when they were using pure oxygen rather than air, and you know that burned up everybody. Was that Apollo One? So Apollo One had, had a fire on the launch pad. They were locked in. They didn't have the method. They couldn't get them out. And it was it was like Gus right. Grissom and and who were the other two? Ed White and Robert Chaffee. Right. And they were the first three who actually, you know, that were aware of that were part of the astronaut program. Right. Uh, there had been a couple test pilots. I was just going to say test pilots. You, you, yeah. 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 So this there is were why, people before them. This is why but this is such a, a, a weird up. topic, you know, because we're talking about this, this program. To think that this was all some giant hoax, from the test pilots to the research to all the rockets that didn't work, to Werner von Braun, who brought, you know, German World War II Nazi technology, you know, and atomic weapons and rocketry oh, yeah. and everything else like that. And to think that this is all some giant hoax, it's so ludicrous. I had to talk about it today. That's why I wanted to bring it on the show. So we can go through the whole space oh, program. Yeah, we get as much, you. you know, and we may do this over a couple of days, but, but this is fascinating. So, uh, so, so we've got the folks that, that, I mean, people gave their lives for this. Test pilots, a lot of test pilots were killed. You know, there was like, uh, I think it was yeah, like a one in four chance. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. I, I wish I had kind of a little bit of my background. I, sure. I have a relative who flew close to the edge of space. Uh, my brother-in-law is a retired lieutenant colonel, was a backseater in the SR-71. The wow. The Blackbird spy plane. 
I didn't know I had a My sister is a retired lieutenant colonel who flew uh, the C-130. She was a member of the Hurricane Hunters on the Peace Corps Air Force Base. Oh, yeah, that's right. So I, I kind of have yeah. a, a, a science background, and, and when it comes to these things, a part of the problem, Greg, this has happened, is we've ignored space sciences in our schools. After the space shuttle and, and everything, and really before the space shuttle, they were cutting back. Astronomy was not a part of standardized testing. So we ignore, we basically ignored space science the last 10, 15, 20 years. When did that and, start? And, yeah. you know, start under, under Clinton you or know, Obama? Your father found very tinny. He's driving, I think. Yeah. Tinny, right? yeah, he's driving. So why did you wind up? <laughs> it's okay. It, at least we got him. Yeah, we had, because I had so much background with my relatives and my family in terms of the military and space and things like that, it was a natural inclination for me to teach science. So, and, and space sciences was part of what we did in eighth grade middle school science. And as I was leaving the profession, I noticed there was a lot of people turning away from space sciences, being doing more concentrating on what would we need to pass a, uh, a standardized test mistake and because you have to understand in order to figure out where we're going you have to know where you've been and if you ignore that background and that, that fundamental steps that were taken people wouldn't know people wouldn't have a clue and I think well, we're let's, weak in space science let's right go now. through the space program then this would be and we got Marco in the in the Netherlands is listening now let's, let's talk about the space program so it, it started really with German rockets right World War II V1 and the V2. Right. And there was okay. a, remember there was a funny uh, story. Uh, I'm trying to remember where the line, I think it was the, the uh, Mercury astronauts. Uh, somebody had said our Germans were better than theirs. Let's talk about that. Right, so I want to I want to really stick to the science of this because uh, not, you know not so much the lack of education, although I agree with you. But I, we only have an hour, sure. and I want to, unless you can stay longer. Oh yeah, I'm um, sorry. That's okay. No, no, I just want, I just want to focus in. Um, but this is fascinating. So we can give people a whole history of, of how this came about and why it's so stupid that people think we didn't go. So the Germans started with the rockets. The uh, Werner von Braun, Albert Einstein, right. a bunch of German scientists came to the United States, and, the others were, and then, of course, others were captured by the Russians. So the Russians had a huge space program. So the next big event, I think, was mm-hmm. Sputnik, right? Right. Tell me about Sputnik. If I remember, Sputnik, Sputnik was the yeah, Sputnik. first satellite to actually be tracked uh, and send a signal back to Earth. They were able to monitor it and follow it as it orbited the Earth. Uh, then, ironically enough, when I was born in 1958, the United States lost its, launched its first satellite, which was Explorer 1, which was the first United States satellite. And then, of course, then you went immediately into Mercury, the Mercury program. Right, hold on, Mer- hold on, Mercury. Just and a then, I want to, I want to, I want to step a little bit back. Our rocket program, people don't. I've seen the videos. There was a lot of rockets that didn't work. The Redstones, the Atlas, some of these earlier oh, rockets were terrible. So tell me, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. There is an entire. Yeah. Yeah, there is an entire page on the NASA pa- on the NASA pages where you can mm-hmm. find every rocket basically starting with Sputnik and going all the way through. It has all the failures listed. Says, mm-hmm. uh, you know, blew up, exploded on launch, things like that, burned up, things of that sort. But almost sure all of those Russians were unmanned. Too. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, that's what I'm well, talking about. The original, the original U.S. rocket program. You know, it's, like, it's like we concentrated on airplanes more. We had the B-52 shortly after World War II. People don't know that. We had the B-47, I think, in 1945, which is at least the design for it. So we had jet bombers. So we had, we had the triad, you know, eventually. the Well, we'll get into that later, I think. But, uh, but we really yeah. concentrated on aircraft, but the Russians didn't do that. The Russians concentrated much more on rockets and missiles and things. As their, as oh, their yeah, defense. they had for years, they had one right. of the largest launch vehicles uh, in early in the space program in the late 50s and early 60s. They had, and I can't recall the name of it now, but Soyuz the was Vostok. the uh, spacecraft. <laughs> you know, yeah, I remember what you mean. Vostok. Yeah, yeah, something like that. It was big. But they, they had the largest lifting vehicle. The Saturn V was Werner von Braun's uh, baby. He worked with that. And oh, with the people at General Dynamics, and yeah, uh-huh. they 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 were working on rocketry at the same time. But we didn't go the the Americans. We didn't advertise it in any way the the way the Russians did. The Russians, let's back up here. This whole thing, the space program. Let's put this into context. There was uh-huh. a lot of political things going on at the time. You had the Russians trying to prove that their form of government was the best. We right. believed our former government was us, uh-huh. hence the space race, hence the, you know, which then carried over into the Olympics with, the, you know, you talk about doping and things like that. Well, there you go. All, all that goes back to this competition. And this competition well, tell me about the space, race. Always... the space race is really interesting, well, so we what... can focus on that a little bit. Go ahead. Yeah. The, I remember there was a, a reentry issue. The Russians lost three astronauts on reentry. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the the seal in the space capsule broke, and they all suffocated. I don't recall when that was, but it was in the late '60s, I believe, and it set the Russians way back. Was it must have been before? It set well, the, the first Russians one way was back. Yuri Yuri Gagarin was the first astronaut to actually orbit the Earth, if I remember, or Correct. first the successful astronaut. Uh, but was mm-hmm. the three died before and they, him? Uh, uh, no? no, no, they were after him. Uh, oh, interesting. Then you had, uh, yeah, and of course we had our first quote astronaut was Alan Shepard. A lot of people right. all think it was John Glenn and everything else, and no. Glenn was the first one to orbit the Earth, the first American. Uh, yeah, Shepard was the first, was one, the first one in space. Our first astronaut was our first astronaut was a monkey. Well, I was going to get to that. Yeah, so well, I, I want to go from the from the unmanned yeah. to the animals to uh, to people. So we had a space race. So for folks that want to, uh, uh, in fact, Mike's made a really good point. You know, you got the communist world trying to prove they're the best. We got the free world trying to prove our, we're the best. And so the space race got going. And so one of the ways there was the military application, which was the secret stuff, but also the whole idea was you know to have satellites, to have uh, people in space, and then of course the object was the moon. And Kennedy comes along in 1961 or two or something like that uh, and says, we're going to be the first on the moon. And we dare to do great things, not because they're easy, but because they're hard. He made this fabulous speech that people should mm-hmm. really listen to. Kennedy's one of my favorites, you know, far more than Ronald Reagan, uh, you know, for, for conservative. Uh, but Kennedy was a visionary. Uh, just like Trump's a visionary. So he saw, he saw what the value of this. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people uh, today, like kids, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, Pianca was a kid and you were a kid, we all wanted to be either fighter pilots or astronauts. <laughs> we just did. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now they want to be rap stars. <laughs> kids are different now. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, how many people remember of our age bracket lost in mm-hmm. space? 
I'm I sure did. everybody, you know, do, do, I remember do, do. it. I mean, I was in love with Angela. Yeah. I was in love with Angela Cartwright and, and uh, you know, all the folks on. Yeah, I admit it, okay? I admit it. That's okay. Contemporary. I, I like, I like uh, I was not uh, in love with. Star Trek's babes. <laughs> the inter, the, the, the uh, intergalactic babes. <laughs> Especially the green ones. No, I'm just teasing you. Go ahead. <laughs> so that could go down the wrong road. Uh, suffice it to say that, that our, our culture began to reflect when you think about Star Trek and things like that. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, 2001 A Space Odyssey, that was a freaky movie. I don't know what he was trying to do, but, but you you know, when you look book. at the movies, when you look at well, yeah. yeah, I'm before you had Star when you look at the had Dallas and Galactica. <laughs> yeah, I remember we had well now that's interesting, uh, Pianchi, because look at all this look at all the space series that were Lost in Space, Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. What is what are some of the other space shows they've had on? Hey, it goes back to Flash Gordon. Remember Flash Gordon in the thirties? It's before all our time. Flash Gordon. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. But everybody remembers Buster Crab, you know, and this ridiculous rockets and General <laughs> Ming or whatever it was, or King oh my or gosh. something. Yeah. So and space has been a fascination. But yeah. Yeah, and the special effects were and pretty, it, pretty you amazing. Know what? <laughs> we desire <Right. laughs> I'm not saying a word. We desire to know the unknown. We yeah. have this natural curiosity that mm-hmm. needs to be satisfied. Right. The one problem is, and this is what happened, actually this is where Apollo thirteen kind of plays a role. Apollo thirteen, Nixon did not want to do any more exploration after the Apollo thirteen debacle. So what they did was they canceled the program after Apollo 17. Apollo 17 was the last moon mission. Right. And that was the only moon mission that actually had a scientist on, just just for background. Well, but we're going to get to the, the, the change in NASA when they went from uh, scientists to a popularity contest. We'll talk about that later. I want to get back to – so let's go back to unmanned rockets for a little bit. So do you remember what the problem sure. was with our rockets? Why were they exploding on the launch pad? Why were they taking off and, and falling back to Earth? What, what was the, the big problem that we were having with them? Do you remember? There was a combination. The biggest thing I remember is the uh-huh. fact that the, in, you, first you were dealing with liquid oxygen, uh, liquid hydrogen. Uh, you, know, you were dealing with very volatile elements, and we didn't have a lot of the solid fuel rockets yet. As a result, those, you know, you basically have a turbocharger. If you've ever looked at a rocket engine, it's basically a turbocharger, and it's no. fired up by liquid hydrogen. Or I've liquid never looked at a rocket o- engine. That's, that's, that's and something interesting. Yeah, I should look at a rocket engine. Yeah, if you look never thought about up, that. Well, yeah, it has, it, it's designed yeah, to produce a venturi effect, just like carburation. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. That's why the nozzles. Yeah, that's why the nozzles are shaped the way they are. In order for the to get maximum thrust, that shape of that nozzle on the bottom of the, the first stage and second stage and so on, that's shaped right. that way for a reason. And that was to get the maximum effect, as Bianchi was just saying, the Venturi effect of it spinning up. They actually have turbochargers in those engines that spin and vaporize the liquid oxygen and liquid nitrogen Mix it at a certain particular amount. Now I'm not a chemist, so I don't, I can't tell you the chemical formula. Well, we can look but it up. That but it that's not the very... point. But that's and interesting. That, obviously, there were there were a lot of different problems with those. Trying to uh-huh. figure out what materials could take the stress and things like that. And Do they so, have titanium you know, and, and some and of the the higher temperature metals at that time, or no? Those came later. I believe okay. those came later. Titanium came later. Okay, interesting. Yeah. All right. And that's SF-71 kind of stuff. 
Um, so yeah. alongside this, let's talk about the, the airplanes for a bit, because I don't know who remembers the X-15. This is a precursor to the SR-71. Mm-hmm. So the rocket, the rocket planes, the Bell X-1, which is what Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier in. So 1947, right. Chuck Yeager breaks the sound barrier. This is the test pilots. Yeager was a test pilot. Uh, mm-hmm. Alan Shepard was a test pilot. I think John Glenn was, too. So most of our early astronauts were test pilots. You guys see the right stuff? You know, right. It's a great documentary. All right. So... So they oh, were yeah. jet pilots. So they were already pilots flying these th- these things. But the but the rockets were different. And so once they figured out what was wrong, was did they have gyro problems with our rockets initially too? The directional guidance, no, the stability. No, it was a. It was the fuel. It was an aerodynamic issue. It was oh. an aerodynamic issue, and I okay. I don't recall exactly what it was. My, my sister and brother in law would know right away. But let's uh, get them on the show. They're not time. around, so I can't ask them right now. Ah, yeah, that. you know They're what? We've talked about that. I'll have to. Yeah, we have. Yeah, the, <laughs> uh, they, I want to talk they to were having an aerodynamic problem. Voluntarily, you know, so yeah, anyway. No, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, she did that for 20 years. The uh, wow. There was an aerodynamic problem, and my uh-huh. brother-in-law has told me about it, but I don't recall exactly what it was. But uh-huh. as you got approached to the speed of sound, that 700 miles per hour, I've got to think of the number now, there, there's some things that happen to the leading edge of the wings and the, and the actual craft itself. They had to do some changes into the surface of it so it remained stable. They couldn't get it stable at 700 miles an hour. They finally got that taken care of. Oh, that's and interesting. Now okay. exactly so what rocket, they... when would a rocket reach 700 miles an hour? When would a rocket break the sound barrier? Pretty quickly, I would think. 10, 15 seconds oh, yeah. after launch, 20 seconds, 30 maybe at the most? And they, and they actually... That's why what you'll hear them say during a rocket launch is you'll hear them say they're throttling back at like oh. 85%. Of, right. But the reason is, if you try to go too fast in the lower layers of the atmosphere, guess what happens? It blows apart. It basically yeah, that makes destroys sense. itself. So okay. you have so to that, slow down when you're getting right. increased pressure. Isn't that wild? Well, and then we, you know, break, we can talk about yeah. compressibility and, uh, you know, sonic booms and things like that. You know, we can save that for another time. I want to just stick with the rockets. So they figured oh, out yeah. the problems with the rockets. And then the next thing they did, as Pianchi said, was they put a, there was a chimpanzee. I think it was a dog first. Did they put dogs on board, chimpanzees? Laika, Laika oh, was a dog, dog for the Russians. Russians had a dog? The, the dog. Oh, I don't Okay. Yeah, he was like I believe was the German dog, or I'm sorry, the uh, Russian dog. I'm getting my Germans and Russians mixed up. And uh-huh. the, uh, to the best of my knowledge, yes, there was a monkey. I don't recall his name. I don't recall, uh, but one of them did not return to Earth. And one of them, you know, died obviously, and that caused right. a little bit of controversy. I remember hearing about that. And then, but they said they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to put humans up there until they're absolutely certain they could survive it. Well, actually, that makes sense. And uh, that's mean, where, you the, know, we're still animal testing of drugs at that point. I think we still are. But, yeah, so, I mean, you do test animals first. And a chimpanzee makes sense because that's the closest genetically to, to a human, you know, human being. So uh, that would make sense to do that. That wasn't, that was a primate they put up as a, as a monkey. I can still remember in fact, the expression on the monkey's face. He was kind of like saying, "Oh shit." <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, yeah, was it like a rhesus monkey, which is one of the more gentle ones? Seems to me I remember that. And they had the oxygen mask or, and the whole, or, or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, so we did animal testing, and so once they proved that, yep. so then, so let's get into the next was the first was the Mercury program. So let's talk about that. Tell me about Mercury. Correct, and that started that started with Alan Shepard, mm-hmm. and uh, 
Now, what was it? I have an How interesting background in all this. It was a one-person. Oh, that about, let's get to the specifics. Yeah, Redstone? Okay. It was a single stage. It was a two-stage Redstone rocket, I believe. And remember, at the same time this was going on, ballistic mm-hmm. missiles were also being developed. So you nice. had dual purposes here. Right. So, so you had both so, the so space program. And here's I, what I want to make yeah. clear, that the, the, the uh, missiles that we were using to launch Mercury capsules <laughs> are the same ones that would have multiple nuclear warheads on them. Same missile, right? Except I don't think they had multiple reentry vehicles, the MIRVs. <clears throat> I think they were single warheads. But, but you're getting same, this, same basic this rocket, way though, right? The, yeah. The same basic, okay. yeah, well, yeah, the basic same principle. And, no, no, no. What uh, I'm saying is that were they using the Redstone was the rocket for, uh, a, for, for nuclear warheads, like the Minuteman 1. Wasn't that on a Redstone right. the same as the Mercury capsule? So we were using the same rocket to launch you know, astronauts as we, would have launched, as we would have used to launch nuclear missiles. Or am I wrong yeah, on that? and it's the same principle. It's the same principle. No, I don't know if it's the same well, principle. I, I'm Are we using exactly the same rocket? That's what I'm curious about. I, I cannot tell well, you yeah, for sure, so rather than tell you wrong. Okay, wait a minute. Let's go one at a time. Yeah, oh, let me, oh, let me talk to my brother-in-law and my sister. I my think sister they would hurt. Yeah. yeah, because the, the same principles and I think the same rocket was used. Well, I would is, have to check with them. See, this see. is what people need to know. This is, uh, people, I think my curiosity is, where are we using exactly the same rockets? We're actually developing our nuclear technology, nuclear weapons technology, at the same time as we're using the astronaut program. So, Frank, mm-hmm. Frank what, do you know about, what do you know about this? Was it the same rocket? Well, yeah, they were, recollection? Because, uh, yeah it, there wasn't no five or ten rocket makers in the country at the time. There was only one. So, <laughs> for the sake of saving money, they would utilize a rocket for one purpose and also for another. And okay. McDonald Douglas made that uh, that uh, Mercury and its own display there on uh, at the headquarters uh, there in St. Louis, St. Louis County. I've seen it. I wouldn't have gotten in it. <laughs> well, talk about the Mercury been. capsule. So, so tell me about the the evolution of of, of capsules of of enclosures. How did they actually design and build? You know, Mercury, then we'll get to Gemini, then we'll get to Apollo and the missions for each one. Mercury had one astronaut, Gemini had two, obviously Gemini the twins, and Apollo had three. So let's start with the Mercury program. What was the purpose of the Mercury program? Why one astronaut? How, how good were the capsules? You know, and uh, just tell me what you know about Mercury, because people don't really know about that program. And I what think what the happened hold, hold on, Piaki. Hold on, Piaki. I want to get Mike first. Yeah. I want to get to you. Mike, go ahead. Yeah, the, and I can back up what Piaki said. Those of us that grew up in St. Louis... This uh-huh. was part of the culture where we grew up. McDonnell Douglas, for years, was the space program contractor. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I saw the so shirts on people, the, at Houston. <laughs> they, had the, they had the logo oh, on the back yeah, of their shirts you see at Mission Control. Yeah, McDonnell yeah. Douglas, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, that was, they were the space, preeminent space contractor. Uh-huh. And until General Dynamics and some of the others started coming in. But they, right. they went from Mercury to Gemini with this whole purpose looking at eventually, remember Gemini was the first docking of two spaceships okay, in space. I want to get Mercury first. I want, to, I want to take this in order. So Mercury yeah. was designed to do what? What was the Mercury program for? Was it for orbiting the Earth? What, 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 what was the purpose of Mercury? Just to test whether an astronaut could survive it, in a capsule? What was Mercury for? 
Sure, and to see if they could also, how they would control it. Okay, so tell me what Mercury's for, then I want to get to Pianchi. What what was exactly, why were they doing it? What were they trying to figure out? Survivability. Could they they create a spacecraft that could keep the astronauts safe, return them to Earth, Uh do all these things in space, and return them safely? Which was what, if you remember Kennedy's space, uh, one of the things he said was to return or send a man to the moon and return them safely to Earth or whatever the speech was. I don't right. recall the phrase, but... Okay, we'll, we'll that, get there, but here's, here's what I'm... Program, right. Go the ahead. entire program was building on Mercury and then Gemini built on Mercury, Apollo yeah, I know that. on okay, Gemini. But I, 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 want to, I want to make sure that we do this in order so that, so that we have a, a sequence yeah. of things that people can follow. So Mercury. Now, does Mercury, and Pianchi, I promise I will get to you, is Mercury where they developed the launch, the ability to orbit, and the recovery with the parachutes? Is that the essence of Mercury? Yes, and the heat shields. Uh, tell, me know, being yeah, the heat shield. tell me about that. Tell me about the heat shields. So Mercury was really well, the basis they, they, of everything that followed, right? Mercury is the, is the key to the, to the whole thing. Okay, so go ahead, tell me. Yeah, yeah because now if you recall, during John Glenn's uh, flight, they had a, a, a specious warning that his heat shield was loose. They were, not cure, they were not sure his heat shield was completely attached. What's a heat so shield? So when he reentered the Let's explain that. Yeah. Heat shield basically is the, in order to reenter the Earth's atmosphere, you have friction. And as you're flying at 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 miles an hour, as you re-enter the Earth's atmosphere, that friction creates heat. And that heat had to be dissipated and deflected away by heat shields on the bottom of the spacecraft. Now, what people are more familiar with is... Is that why they're round? uh, They were oval-shaped. Yeah, paramount-shaped. Mm-hmm. Look like an upside down bell. That changed, of course, when they went to the space shuttle. So, but the early spacecraft, all the ones that re-entered the Apollo and all of them had basically the same shape. That uh, that uh, elliptical bottom curved panel that was basically fireproof. And that what was it made of. And what it was deflected it all the heat around the spacecraft, kept the astronauts safe while they re-entered Earth's atmosphere. Do you know now, what it was of course, made of? like I mentioned earlier, in the Russian situation, they something happened and they lost the atmospheric pressure. Right, right. What was the heat shield uh, made of? of course, Do you remember? Columbia, unfortunately, it burned Why up on the entry because of right, the right, right. My, my, Mike. I mean, what they're not the perfect. All right, what was the heat shield made of? Nobody knows. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Okay, I'm right, just curious. All right, Pianchi, what, what's your point? Hey, on let me three? tell you something. Let me make another point, too. One of another problems was the, the angle of reentry into the atmosphere. If you uh-huh. come in at a ninety degrees, you would bounce off the atmosphere, and it, you know, like a like a tap trampoline, throw you right back out of space. So the angle had to be just right. Right. So that's that's all. Well, we're going to talk about the computing of this also because they didn't have the computer capacity. Well, let's talk about that right now. So for Mercury, they had to work out things like reentry, uh, the correct angle. Because if you come in too steeply, you know you're going to burn up. You know, in a flash, if you come in too too shallow, you bounce off. So so how how was how did, they didn't have supercomputers? We get more computer capacity in our phones than they had at NASA. You know, for the Mercury program. So how was the computer technology oh, yeah. related? So Mike, tell me about that. The, the- 
if I recall the the comparing the computer, my sister's a computer science but she would know this better. The the computers that they used on board, like the lunar excursion module, were not much better than a cell phone. Uh, in fact, the cell phone had more capacity than the computers on board the LEM. Right. And they didn't have, they so, had transistors, right? They didn't even have well, yeah, uh, silicon chips. This is pre silicon chip transistors. Kind of. Right. See, here's Everything the thing. They had. Tra- Go ahead, yeah, let me let me enter this because yeah, yeah, the, the computer that they had then was about six. Is a box about six, maybe eight inches square. It's on display too. They did okay. have transistors because ham radio operators was able to pick up the signal that Put, Sputnik was mm-hmm. putting out. So, so they, they yes, transistors existed then. They got built radios using uh, PNP transistors and CMOS okay. and stuff like that. All right. You know, so this Bill, is really... living in St. Louis, we had it seemed like everybody, somebody was always into something like that. <laughs> so now this is interesting. So listen, look at the picture we're building up. We've got we've got very little computer capacity. We've got uh, German scientists. We've got rockets that didn't work at first. We've got animal testing. Now we've got a capsule that is is a self-contained unit that can be launched from a rocket that can also launch nuclear missiles it can it can travel above the atmosphere it can be in orbit and it can return you know an astronaut safely to earth some of the parachutes how do they figure out the parachutes and the recovery at sea um do you know anything about that as opposed to land recovery and that's why come they that's why the launch location was cape canaveral because you got right. water on either side you could launch from houston you come down to somebody's backyard <laughs> yeah, they do launch out towards well, uh, the Atlantic. Reason, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Mike. A lot of people don't realize. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize the reason they launched from Florida. Think about the way the Earth rotates, west to east. So what okay. you were actually using was the Earth's rotation to help send that spacecraft on its way. Remember, oh. the Earth spins at about a thousand miles an hour at its equator. So you so were it's... using that to help the astronauts and the craft move through space. It was easier to escape Absolutely. going with the Earth's gravity. So they're using yeah. gravity, so are you saying? Is. So the gravity of Earth yeah, spinning 1,000 miles an hour actually allowed their – but it doesn't work for airplanes, though, because we still have air resistance. No, it wasn't no. gravity. It, it wasn't, it, it wasn't it was, gravity. It was the inertia. Yeah. Okay. And that's right. what allowed them to – they used it like a boost, basically, is the okay. best way I can describe it. A natural so who, boost from the Earth's rotation. All right, so let's talk about the mathematicians, because I remember there was a special. There was a black woman in particular that, you know, I saw this with Kevin Costner. I forgot the, the actress who, who uh, played the scientist. But there were some mathematicians that literally worked this stuff out with slide rules and, and pencil and paper and did all the calculations, right? So we're talking low-tech right. but brilliant people. How, tell me that story. Do you know anything about that? Uh, I know very little other than the actual movie itself. And I believe the title of the movie was Numbers, if okay. I remember correctly. Yeah. I, I don't recall the name of the movie off the top of my head. But, but they had yeah, to have equations some, uh, for, for all this. Well, they had to they yeah. have formulas, right? And they did not, from the movie's point of view, I don't know. I, I don't have that much background this early on. But, you know, the, the, they were not given the young women who were working these numbers some of them were African-American, and they were not given the same credence as some of the other – well, women right. in general. If you take a look at the space program, there were a whole lot of women in those control rooms. Yeah, okay? a bunch of white guys with that short was, haircuts, white yeah, shirts, and black ties. Yeah, <laughs> it is interesting. It but this not, is part of the – go ahead. 
Oh, no, my sister told me stories. We'll keep it just to say that, you know, that was a very much a good old boy network oh, in, sure those, was. in those laboratories. Yeah. And it was very, very difficult for you to break in, regardless of being a man. It was difficult to break in there. You had to know who's who and what's what. And if you're a woman, it was doubly against you. Yeah. And, you know, that's something, uh, that's a whole story for another Well, day. that has, but, you know, fighter uh, pilot positions we, are still political. You know, if you're a fan, you know, if you're, if you're well-connected, you know, you can get your kid into a fighter pilot slot, whereas somebody else's kid know, might be in a yeah. tank. <laughs> you know, that's just how it works, right? Well, Go ahead, Pianki. That's where they tell you you're you running know, out of uh, runway. Yeah. Yeah. Pianki? It was John Glenn. I think it was John Glenn or one of the others that told the crew to ask one of the black women to check the calculations. And that's how she got her credence. They ain't saying that it's how, but, you know, she was mentioned. Uh, well, that's what I was curious about is that the – and just the fact that they used calculations in the first place and that were done, you know, by hand. Uh, and these are wildly complex formulas. You know, supercomputers do it now. But I was so fascinated too. that anybody could be able to do it, you know, to, to put these formulas oh. out there. And they worked. They worked because the astronauts came back. They were able to enter the atmosphere I know. and do all the things. Yeah. I'm embarrassed so some pretty... to say I was a science teacher. I, bar- I barely made it out of college algebra. So okay. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that. But, well, so you but, weren't teaching college. You were teaching high school. You weren't teaching advanced, you know, theoretical physics uh, no. and, and calculus. So it's okay. You know, yeah. I couldn't even do that stuff. Yeah, All right. Let's get, to, let's get to Gemini. Let's get to – so why did they go from one okay. to two? What was the purpose of Gemini? I think working in multiple crews in order to be – they knew that they were going to have to send a minimum of two people to the moon. Okay. The the final goal was to have a crew of three, so that one could stay in orbit in the in the uh, command module, mm-hmm. and the other two would go down to the surface and land in the lunar excursion module. So eventually, the plan was to go from two working with two people in the in the spacecraft, being able to do certain activities like docking. That mm-hmm. was the first docking that took place, and, and so the next logical too, right? step. Spacewalks were well, correct. Because they didn't do that in Mercury because mm-hmm. there's only one guy. One guy's not going to go outside the spacecraft. No, no one's going to haul him back in. Guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They okay. had, you, so Gemini. See, so now I remember Gemini when I was a so kid. Okay. I don't remember Mercury. I was too young for mm-hmm. Mercury. But I do, remember, I do remember getting up at five years old, six years old, watching the Gemini launches. Those are fascinating. Uh-huh. And, Gemini, and watching the spacewalks. Yeah, go ahead. That, yeah, that was McDonnell Douglas as well. Okay. So McDonnell Douglas had so much involvement, early involvement. And then the next logical step mm-hmm. was Apollo. All right, let's and just, we'll, now we'll hold off on Apollo. I want to I want to go back to Gemini. So yeah. when was Gemini? So when did we go from Mercury? When did Mercury start? Do you remember fifty seven, fifty eight? When was Mercury? When, I'm when was Shepard? Say late fifties, late sixties, early seventies, because we were we were getting ready. Well, I'm sorry, late sixties more. No, Gemini I mean, no, because Apollo, Apollo. Apollo yeah, was, was in the sixties. Apollo was 69, yeah. so Gemini was like 65. It's before I went to Australia. So Mercury had to have been yeah, either early exactly. 60s or late 50s. I had all this stuff written down. Mer- I left it Mercury, all, Mercury okay. was the early 60s. So if Mercury yeah. was the early 60s, it would have been too young for me. My earliest memory of politics was Kennedy being assassinated, you know, when I was, uh, was four years old. So I remember that. Um, yeah, it had to be right. Yeah. It, it had to be right after Kennedy was assassinated. So it was fascinating with 63 or something like this. So it was in the, in the, in the yeah. early 60s. So Gemini was 
so so at what point did we decide to go to the moon? I mean, did the was the Mercury program? I don't think Mercury was designed to go to the moon. It really was just designed to get uh, people, oh men actually in those days, into space. I don't. Uh, but it was Kennedy that actually said we're going to the moon. That did Kennedy was he relaying a plan that had already been decided by the scientists that they said yes we can, or is it Kennedy said I challenge you to go to the moon and they go oh geez we guess we got to go to the moon now. So what what was actually going on between NASA and Kennedy where with the Gemini program had they decided to go before to the moon with Gemini or Mercury the, before they go could ahead. go to the moon they had to shoot they had to prove the adaptability of a human being being able to survive in space. That's why I come with the Mercury, they mm-hmm. they set the records of right. orbiting the Earth X number of times. Okay. So that was so that was Mercury. Then they went now by Gemini, did they know they were going to the moon ultimately? I guess they would oh, have yeah. had to. Yeah. Okay. Gemini, yeah. Mercury to Gemini then on to the other is was, was a progression of going to the moon. That's what Kennedy said. We want to send okay, man, but, but Mercury Mercury was before Kennedy announced it. So my question was, did they know they were going to the moon with the Mercury program or was that just a, a space exploration program? That's my question. And there may not be an answer. I'm just curious. I don't know that there was a specific time that they said we're going to the moon other than Kennedy's inauguration speech. Okay. I don't recall there being a moment, and again, you and I are contemporaries. You and I are almost the same age. It, I well, don't recall a moment where somebody got up in front yeah. of, oh, yes. The, uh, remember a moment, particularly in time, that mm-hmm. that took place? Uh, well, obviously, the Johnson Space Flight Center, LBJ, not my favorite president, LBJ had a lot to do with bringing, the, you know, mission, mission control to Houston, things now, like that. There's a, lot a scandal. Of that okay, taken. so this, was, this is interesting. So Kennedy had the Kennedy Space Center, which got renamed Cape Canaveral. It was Cape Canaveral, then it became Cape Kennedy, then it was named right. back Cape Canaveral again. So that's on, the, uh, that's on the east coast of Florida, launching into the Atlantic, you know, using the, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the rotation of the Earth to help. Okay, so now, but they moved mission control to Houston because that's where Johnson sure. was from. So let's, let's talk about that mm-hmm. story, talk about politics. What do you know about that? I I. I don't know only what you can conclude. If you look at, you know, if you see smoke, then there's usually a fire. What do you so, do is he wanted you know, money. He, <laughs> he wanted money in Houston. Well, That's yeah. what he wanted. It's bringing That's home, easy. What's the expression in politics? Bringing home the bacon. The, uh, and that's what happened. I mean, there was a lot, huh? of, a lot of what was it Eisenhower said, the military-industrial complex. Well, this was yeah. the space-industrial complex. Yeah, and the, when you look space, at, you know, uh, but I think we all love the space program. You know, I think people thought nuclear weapons were a necessary evil, even though they were evil. But the space program, who was, who was against the space program? Except the left, because they wanted social programs and things like that. But most of the country, I mean, we love, I was in Canada. We love the space program, even though it was American. We didn't care. It was great. Mm-hmm. It was an achievement for all of us. When I was in Australia, we didn't look at it as an American accomplishment. We, mm-hmm. we looked at it as, as a human accomplishment. Go ahead. And as a science educator, what I can tell you is we were able to take these things and use them in the classroom and okay. be able to explain concepts like gravity, inertia, things like that, mm-hmm. and use the space program as an example. Because the space program has been so scaled back over the years, you don't have that ability anymore. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, but there was a time when, when everybody loved the space program. I don't think anybody was against it. I mean, Europe was involved. I mean, uh, all countries around the world. 
you know, it's interesting. Other countries didn't have rocket programs. It's just basically us and, uh, and, and the Soviet Union at the time. All right. So Gemini, what did well, Gemini accomplish that was new? Go ahead. What was that? The amount of money, part of the reason why Nixon also exited after Apollo 17, they said it was gross, gross amounts of money is what he said. So I don't, I remember reading that quote. I, it was in the billions. Now, remember, we're talking 40, 50 years ago. Right. So, you know, you're talking a large sum of money. And, uh, yeah, we, they, we yeah, wasted that was money on the, wars. We could have took, taken the, the uh, Iraq and Afghanistan budget is, and had a huge what, space program and a bunch of other things. So the, don't some, yeah, you can't talk to me about money. Besides yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. so it, Vietnam, it, Korea, the whole bit. All right. Let's get to Gemini. Yeah. Specific, I, want to, I want to really stay focused here. So what did Gemini add? It put, it put two people instead of one. Did they improve the recovery? Did they, did they orbit faster and higher? Uh, they had, we, we have always established they did docking of, of two Geminis, I remember, uh, and they also established spacewalks. Right. But what else did Gemini add to the, uh, to the rocket program? I believe it was the time, actual time and space. They okay, it was longer? Measuring how long, how long, what duration could the astronauts stay in space and return relatively how, long, how long were they up for? Because how how long was Gemini... Typical Gemini mission. How many, oh, how many days were they I up there? Five days, three. Five days. Three. Yeah. Three. We are old men. We don't remember all that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I, we, I still, we can still speculate. But I, you know, you we can ask get a rough these questions, man, like you're a lawyer in a courtroom. <laughs> no, no. This is just, hey, the, hey, listen. This is this. I'm running the show today, so I'm, I'm curious. But I want to get a lot of information. I know you're yeah. running the show, but you got to have participants. You guys are participating. <laughs> Gemini, actually, Gemini overlap Mercury a little bit. Mercury okay. started in the late 50s into the mid to the yeah. early 60s, and Gemini left. The purpose was Gemini was to be able to send more than one astronaut in flight. That's right. what his main purpose was. Okay. Because, like he Correct. said, you need to have at least three astronauts when you landed on the moon. You had to have the two that was out there doing something, and you had mm-hmm. to have the one that was left in the uh, in the spacecraft getting Command things ready. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and Gemini. The now, did they did they have two Gemini's dock, or how did they do it? What to, how did they would they work that? Yeah, it was two Gemini's that practiced a docking maneuver. Right. I don't recall if they had a docking collar like they do today. But okay. I do know that they were. It was a matter of you know, can you bring two spacecraft together, moving in in the same direction but facing opposite directions, and actually have them dock and and do the maneuvering. That was the biggest right. thing, because okay. you had to be able to do that in order to pull the limb out of the third stage. Remember, the lunar module was kept right below the command module when they took off on the Saturn V. Right. We're, we're going to get to that. Because that's, that's the next step. Yeah. Okay. Because I want to get to, to Apollo. Mm-hmm. So eventually, the Gemini program, they got everything they could out of the Gemini program, and they went to Apollo. And that was a three-man crew in, in, a, in a capsule, which right. is a bigger capsule, you know, I guess probably bigger heat shield, all that kind of stuff, more parachutes, you know, the whole bit. Um, but they had a, let's talk about that disaster again. So what went wrong with the first one? How did, how did these astronauts die in the long and how did that affect well, the program? Pianchi was saying, yeah. I mean, Pianchi, you can talk to that if you want to. Uh, the pure oxygen. They were using pure oxygen as right. a source. Mm-hmm. And anyone knows that oxygen is an accelerant when things start burning. So they, 
Right. That was a mistake that they made. You had a wire that caught on fire, the insulation, but in a pure in a pure oxygen atmosphere, everything accelerated much faster. The next thing you know, you had a flash fire. Right. I also remember they couldn't get them out. There was something wrong with they had to redesign the uh, the hatch they for evacuation. Taken, there was something. They would have been dead anyway because the fire was flat. Yeah. No, but for future missions, they had to the, make sure that they could get them out fast on the launch the pad. They had disarmed the explosive bolts, or there was something that had happened or was an issue with the explosive bolts, you know, that would take right. off, blow off the uh, hatch. There mm-hmm. was something, and I don't recall. Again, we're getting back into the our old age. There was some issue <laughs> with, the, with the, the hatch, and okay. I don't recall what it was, but there was some okay. issue there. Yeah. And, you know, it's like the, the biggest thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was they were pressure testing with pure oxygen. And like Pianchi just said, pure oxygen is highly flammable. It's an accelerant. And that's why you see no smoking all over the hospital because of all the oxygen tanks. Right, so that makes sense. I thought it was for it, health it, reasons. Yeah, they, Silly me. <laughs> yeah, and it, it happened for, well, there's emergency. You see all those emergency shutoffs in the hospital hallways? Those yeah. plastic, uh, it says emergency oxygen shutoff. That shuts uh-huh. off the oxygen to the whole floor. Well, they have hmm. to because of the fact that it can create fire. It can feed a fire. Interesting. Oh, and that's why sense. they have it where they do. Yeah, and compressed oxygen yeah. is very dangerous. If you ever knock the valve off of an oxygen tank, that tank would take off like a torpedo. Yeah. I think that's how they were powered. Wasn't that how torpedoes were powered, was compressed air? And uh, yes, actually, they were. Yeah, absolutely right. Interesting. I've got okay. to remember, I think, then, yeah. You know, for old guys, we're, we're remembering. We're doing for anybody that's interested. We're doing this without notes, people. We're just going right from our brain. You know, so so us old guys yeah, were not that bad. Yeah, first were compressed there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, I'm so very, let's go to Apollo. I'm very very fortunate. Okay, that? let's go to Apollo. So Apollo oh, no, is a three man crew. So the whole purpose of Apollo was to get to the moon. So they already established docking. They already they got longer time in orbit. Um, the, the so Apollo was was the three man crew. What what else was improved with Apollo? They had an escape thing on top, too, Apollo, right? That's the first time they had an escape right. rocket. Apollo 8. Right. The, well, the Saturn V, the, the, the fine-tuning of the Saturn V mm-hmm. and making sure that it, had, it could take care of all that needed to be done to get them to and back. And Apollo 8 was the first moon, manned moon mission to actually go to the moon. Now, they didn't land, but right. I don't know how many people remember. It was Christmas of 1968? No. Mm-hmm. 67, they, they orbited Apollo 8. Jim Lovell, who was on mm-hmm. Apollo 13, was on Apollo 8. And mm-hmm. they went, the idea was to go around the moon and be able to come back, to use the moon's gravity to pull them back around and come back towards the Earth. That right. was the whole idea of Apollo 8, was could we make it to the moon, go around the moon, and come back? And so that was one of the missions. And I think, so the, yeah, the first Apollo few Apollos go to the moon? No, wait, let's go back to like two and three. Eight. What, how did they start the program? Yeah. Those were, I believe, if memory serves, those were practices for docking with and undocking the uh, lunar module. In other did words, they have pulling lunar, it out of the third stage. Did, were they launching the lunar module right. with Apollo 2 and 3? Was it that early they had it? I didn't remember. I, see, that's what I'm trying to remember. There's a specific order that things went in in order right. to get increasingly difficult 
things with the lunar module, I would have to get a note out and see if I knew exactly what the dates okay, were. Okay, so let's just, but, without the actual information, let's just say, so they had to bring up, so they were bringing up the lunar module, so the lunar module is already developed by the time Apollo comes along, right? That's what it sounds like. Right. Yeah, yeah okay, actual, so, they had begun in the late. And so, so lunar module, for those who don't know, it's a two-stage craft. It's got like four big legs on the bottom stage. The bottom stage has fuel to land, and the top stage has fuel to blast off from the moon. So it's, it's a dual, and they leave the bottom part there. And so that's how it works. So, so you've got the command module where the astronauts blast off from. They have a little tiny rocket on top of that. I'm not sure when that came in, but that was for emergency, so they could actually escape and come back to Earth if the rocket had major problems. Now, the, the Apollo was the Apollo where they said the Saturn V, the really big rocket, because they're using like Saturn 1Bs for the earlier Gemini program, right? If I remember? Right. Okay. I don't so, remember. No, no, not for, uh, no. For, the, uh, for Gemini, I believe they were using the, the next rocket up from the Redstone, and I don't recall what rocket it was. So wasn't that, so I'd so have the, to look it up. So the Saturn V was really designed for the Apollo program, right? That's a huge rocket. Correct. Yeah, okay. that was Werner von Braun's idea. He was the, the one idea. He had come up with the original idea of the large launch vehicle. So he he's was still, one he's of the still alive at this point, right? So he's still alive. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so we're talking now. So, 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 so we made this, this massive rocket. Uh, it's got the big five engines at the bottom. You know, you ever watch the thing when they launch it, just like the flames that pour out. I think it's really pretty wild to watch a Saturn V go off. Of course, it lights up, you know, every, even in daytime. So we've got this massive three-stage rocket. We've got the Apollo. You've got the, you've got the capsule on top, and you've got the lunar landing module, and you've got a little escape rocket on top. And all this stuff launches. And then they go into space at first, and then they learn how to detach, and then they connect. The, so the, the command module actually has to leave. And it's still got a little rocket on it, too, right? So it has to go out, pick up the lunar module out of the Saturn V, the last stage, pull it out, uh, and they've got to fly around together, right? And then they go back and forth between the, the lunar module and the, and the uh, capsule, right? That's basically the first and two missions. Correct. Well, yeah. So you had two men laying on the moon. You had one that had to stay in the module to make sure okay, we're not that there they didn't deteriorate its orbit and all that kind of stuff. Right. We're not there yet. We're still we're still orbiting the Earth, playing around with the, both the lunar module and the and the command capsule. Those are the first few missions. So what mission did we they? We still on did, Earth. Hey, great. You're about to run out of time. No, and it's okay. I'll, I can do it. Trust me. I'm, I'm you know I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a professional now. So Mike. So at what point did they did you say yeah. Apollo 8 was the first one they actually went to the moon? Not landing, but just Apollo to the moon. Apollo 8, they, so went to the, they went to the moon, went around the backside or dark side of the moon, if you're a Pink Floyd follower, and <laughs> came back and came back to uh-huh. the Earth. That was the whole idea. Could we actually do that, get out there, uh-huh. get around behind the back of the moon, and come back? Now, of course... You had a couple issues here. If you didn't manage to use the moon's gravity to help get you back to Earth, guess what? You weren't coming back. They they Why? had already figured out there wasn't enough fuel. There was the inertia. You were still flying out in space. Curved oh. path that would be created by the moon's gravity. You're uh-huh. going in a straight line. The moon's path wants to pull. The moon's gravity wants to pull you in. The result right. is a curved path on an orbit, and that's uh-huh. what would bring you around behind the moon. They were going to use the moon's gravity to put themselves in orbit and then to use it to get back to Earth. So that's they where this slingshot off, right? Didn't they slingshot off an orbit? Yeah. Essentially, okay. yeah, essentially that's what it was. Okay. So, yeah, that's, that's essentially how it worked. 
And yeah, apology. you got to take off at a certain time, too. If not, you're going to be sitting around for a while until the opportunity comes back. Yeah, and you're Tommy yeah, Lee Jones so sitting on there with your beer. <laughs> yeah. All right. So now when Where's they went, went around the moon, when they went around the moon with these Apollo, these eight, probably nine and ten, did they have the, the capsule and the lunar module? Where they Did they detach and just send the lunar module around? How did they do it? As far as I know, what the first ones they did, they practiced the docking and, un- and undocking when they were in Earth orbit, when they had less of a chance of a disaster going wrong, which, of course, we know other things happen. But right. they practiced docking and undocking. How can we make this work? Is this working? Will this work? Uh, can we do it? Because they docked before they went to the moon. Remember, they, they pulled the lunar module out before they left for the moon, and right. then they took off towards the moon. So the capsule uh, has still had a stage. The capsule itself still had another stage of rocket on it. That's how they got to the moon. Right. Okay. The service mo- or the, Well, they the, orbit the, the moon. Apollo mo- 7 is when they, they, the three astronauts orbited the moon about 100 and some odd times, close to 200. But they were, in a, were they in the capsule or were they, were they with the lunar they, module or without the lunar module? I think they had to have they the They had to be them. in a, if it was three of them, so it had to be at least Gemini size. I mean, that did. <clears throat> well, let's, let's get Mike's opinion, and then we'll spend the last five minutes on Apollo 11, because <laughs> this is kind of fun. So we, when they orbited the, the Apollo, moon, they, Right. Go ahead. The Apollo spacecraft had three seats in it. It had right. three seats going across. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was tight. It was The people on the ends had to go in first. It was obviously an order. You had to get in and get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the service module which was the part that, you know, we've all heard about Apollo 13, the oxygen tank and all that. That right. was the part of the spacecraft that was still with the command module and the lunar excursion module. So you basically had three parts. You had the spacecraft itself, you had the lunar uh-huh. module, and then you had the service module, which was What's at the, the bottom What's the service end. module? And that's where all your oxygen <laughs> and fuel and everything for the trip were. They were all in that third stage. That little third stage that... that oh, okay, the that's where the rocket is, right? Okay, so you had the service, you had yeah. the capsule, and you had the lunar module. So all that was going around the moon in Apollo 8, Correct. Apollo 13. Oh, I mean, Apollo 8. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay, so let's get to Apollo 11. Let's yeah. talk about how they actually did this. So now we've got everything working. It's been tried, it's been tested. You know, the big day comes, Saturn V, everybody's watching, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins, who unfortunately didn't get to land on the moon. He should have landed on a, on a subsequent mission, but we'll talk about that later. So uh, tell me right. about that. So how did Apollo 11, what did they actually do? How did they do it? Well, they launched in July uh, of 69, and it took them three days to get there. They, all the other practices up to this had been practicing the docking, getting, you know, using the Earth's gravity to pull around the Earth and then go towards the moon, then get into orbit around the moon, then load up the lunar excursion module. And, uh, and they only spent, Pianchi, do you remember? I think they only spent like 12 hours on the moon's surface. It wasn't very yeah. long. <clears throat> they didn't stay too long. Yeah, I think it was 12, they 24 didn't hours back. Yeah, but there was yeah. never, yeah. now that I think about it, there was never like a drone module. They never remotely controlled a drone module to land on no. the moon. So, so when they no, did they it, didn't. and there was no way to simulate it because you can't duplicate the moon's gravity. So when they landed the lunar module, when they detached and, and uh, Buzz and Neil, you know, took the lunar module, separated from the command module, that, that was like, that was the first time. This is, this is test piloting, right? So this is all brand new. Correct. Okay. And what a lot of people don't know is 
they jumped over a boulder right as they were landing. A lot of people are unaware. There was a boulder in the middle of their landing field, and they were heading right towards it. They well, had they to actually even... do some piloting. A lot of people <laughs> well, they were telling they to do some piloting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a so boulder. Let's talk about the, there was a let's boulder about the landing. directly in their line. Yeah, let's talk about the landing because people don't realize yeah. they actually flew this thing down to the moon. And so they weren't they were supposed to land somewhere else and they ended up in the Sea of Tranquility. They were like what, several hundred miles away from where they were supposed to be? I mean let's, let's so the, so from when they detached from the, the command module, they're heading for the moon. Describe as much as you know, from when when they were, you know, on their way to the moon to when they actually landed. How did that process work? They had all the prior missions had had all these uh photos and they had actually done complete uh you know technical surveys of the landing site mm-hmm. and the sea of tranquility was the large if i remember correctly was one of the largest targets to hit Without and that's how they ended up there <laughs> they right. were based on the side i mean you can't miss the moon i mean come on now, this is before gps but, folks we're going by photographs so people don't have to know oh, that too dead reckoning. yeah this is piloting 101 you it, know that it, you're a pilot well, that's, but I mean, you, we were talking about audience that doesn't know. Right. And those photographs yeah. was taken when the lunar module was orbiting the moon. And this whole purpose was, you know, it orbited and came down. Its it purpose was to kind of get an idea how close you could get to the moon before your your altitude, you know, seriously deteriorated. So that was one of the purposes. That was, I think that was Apollo 10. Then Apollo 11 was when they sent Buzz Aldrich and uh, the others. They done they moonwalk and you know, they left one man up in the control room. Yeah, but they had little rockets mm-hmm. to guide them, and they had little retro things they'd fire, and uh, and they had to they actually fly, they had little bursts of rockets to actually land on the moon. And they only had so much fuel. Oh, yeah. I was just watching this the, last night that they they had they they only barely made it, right? I mean, they just made it with like 10 seconds of fuel to spare or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they balloon, have those Okay, one at a time. Go ahead, Bianchi. No, yeah, they did have, you know, a, a regular party balloon would send you off in one direction in, when you're in space. Right, but what I'm saying is the lunar module on its way down. Oh, we lost Mike. <laughs> Where'd he go? What, he had to drop right at 9? I guess he had to drop right at 9. He was supposed to be on at 9 o'clock. You know, that's what we arranged yesterday. But as I remember, and I was just watching a special on this last night, that we'll see if he calls back, um, that um, the, uh, the, the lunar module, on its way down, uh, Neil Armstrong was flying it for real. That, like I said, they didn't have GPS. Hey, I don't think they, 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 got, they were landed where they were supposed to land. Um, the fuel was running out. He's looking for a place to land where there isn't some massive boulder or crater or things like that. They don't always sit in the bottom of a crater. I don't know if they have uh, you know, radio communication back with Houston. Uh, and they actually landed it, and uh, he flew it in. I mean, you know, this is test piloting. And so this is how they're able to accomplish it. Then they walked around for 12 hours, planted the flag, you know, did the dance stuff, collected the rocks on this planet, you know, all this other kind of stuff. And then they, they hopped in the top half of the lunar module, and that blasted off, and that reconnected with Michael Collins, and that's how they came home. So it's a fascinating story. I think it's a fascinating story. Yeah, that's um, the way but, it happened. Yeah. It would be like trying to make a three-point shot. So he had to have the ability to do pilot maneuvering on mm-hmm. the land probe. Yeah. But, they said, yeah. but the landing craft was maneuverable. It could be guided. Um, and now what's interesting is Elon Musk with his spacecraft, they actually land back on Earth, which is a whole lot more gravity than the moon does. 
So that's really quite fascinating. Anyway, it looks like Mike's gone. <laughs> when he had to leave, he, had to, he didn't even say goodbye. He's just gone. So anyway, hopefully he'll call back. If not, uh, I'll take a little break. So uh, the the last area. Well, Elon, kind of, is doing his, well, Elon uh-huh. Musk is doing with his uh, recovery of his heavy lift is just tremendous. But, you know, I was going to ask Mike, and uh-huh. I hope he comes back next week and have time to study. We have to yeah. get beyond heavy lift rockets, and we have to get to uh, and I, you know, being that you never done it before, it's hard to put words to it. But mm. the huge crafts have to be able to use and I guess you can say anti gravity uh, principles in order to uh, launch up into space because those rockets just can't do it. Now, rockets are like an obsolete technology as far as space goes. We need the equivalent of warp drive. We need to find another propulsion system, and that'd be something we should do. I wish I could do. I wish I could have Mike every Friday. Maybe I can devote Friday uh, to science. Yeah, I wish uh, you would come on every Friday too. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, well, I'll ask him again. Um, Candace is going to be off for a few weeks too. She's got other stuff going on, so we have certainly have the time to do it. But the eight o'clock hour is a great time on Fridays to talk about this. All right, let me take a break. And uh, you and I can free for all. I got a couple of articles to talk about, you know, why people believe it's a hoax, why they want to believe it's a hoax, all this other kind of stuff related to it. So it's now 9.03 and I'll be back in a little bit. So Pianchi, if you want to mute yourself, grab a cup of coffee, we'll come back for the rest of this hour and that'll be it for the week. Uh, be right back. Here is your Action Radio contact and website information. The call-in line is 215-383-3832. Our show site is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Same link, live and a podcast. Please share all our shows. We have live chat at the bottom of the broadcast page available worldwide. Sign in to your free account and type away. We have an internet Skype line where you can call the show worldwide also. Please see the broadcast page for our Skype name. Call in during the show to get approved. Our bill writing site is writeyourlaws.com. W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Writeyourlaws.com. This is where anyone can write a bill and start the process of it becoming law. My paid and free subscription column is at gregpenglis.substack.com. Please consider a paid subscription of $5 per month or greater. For contributions to Action Radio, please go to givesendgo.com slash actionradio. We have over 20 Action Radio Facebook groups. Use the Facebook search window by putting in Action Radio to find our groups. My public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. Please contact me about advertising on Action Radio and helping our mission of freedom. Thank you for listening. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, 
who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't, which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio.
There, it looks like the, the powers that be have made my life a little crazy. They're putting all kinds of uh, new websites on here, which I'm not getting rid of because I don't need them. <laughs> anyway, so we're back, and uh, we'll get Pianchi back here in just a little bit. Um, something, again, this is what happened on my Facebook page yesterday. And I post, yay, moon landing, isn't this great? I said, all you, you know, all you lunatics, I don't think it didn't happen. It happened. <laughs> and, of course, a lot of people came out. They came out of nowhere. Uh, and they said, no, Greg, it didn't happen. It was a Hollywood studio or a Disney studio or it was all faked. Uh, someone said that uh, they faked it so they could get, uh, you know, $50 billion for a block operation. Someone else said that uh, it was to cover up Chappaquiddick, which happened, you know, the day, uh, the day before the landing. I said, well, how would they have known that? <laughs> you get, if you're, what, can he decide to, to uh, drive off a bridge and potentially kill himself? <clears throat> Excuse me. With Mary Jo Kopechnik, you know, because they were landing on the moon at that time. That just, you know, and all this stuff came out. Another person talked about, well, it's well known in the scientific community, you know, that uh, in, the, in the hoax community that this is uh, this didn't happen. Okay, this is an Area 51, folks. Uh, and even so, we're still talking about, I, I still think UFOs are real. Everything I've seen, the evidence looks really good that uh, we definitely have UFOs. But there's a certain segment of the population that don't believe we landed on the moon. And I don't understand that, you know, especially those of us who are alive. It's yeah, go ahead, Pianchi. Tell me what you think. A lot of it has to do with religion. It's what people believe. People just don't believe it. It's just like, <laughs> and when you have people on, on your show, I don't like to talk about it because your guests might get pissed and don't come back no more. But uh, <laughs> a lot of things that people like to believe in myths. They like uh-huh. to believe in things that really never did happen. The uh-huh. story is so good and so convincing that they believe it did happen. Yeah. No, I, I think it's fascinating. Well, let, let's tell you someone who I have a running argument that I've had for years with Josie. Josie absolutely believes that Trump and the military industrial or the military intelligence folks are, are going to come in and have all these tribunals and arrest all these thousands of people. And I'm not saying anything she hasn't said on the show, so it's not like I'm, I'm betraying a confidence here. You know? and, so, and, she, and I was like, Josie, this is not happening. Oh, you just have to wait. Just have to be patient. David it's going Trump to happen. supposed to come back. It's come and gone. <laughs> well, no. If he was going to come, if he was going to come back, he would have come back January twenty-first because the twenty-second amendment says that he can serve you know, this term from January twenty-first on of this year and still run in twenty twenty-four. So if he was going to come back, he would have done so already. But I think the, uh, the amount of controversy. The Democrats would have so much craziness that he wouldn't get elected in 2024. And I think he made the calculation. It's more important for him to get elected in 2024 uh, and beat the Democrat cheating than it is to come back now, even though he won this term. That's what I think he's thinking. But why? why well, yeah, the, day the, say, the day that people say he was coming back, is come and gone. And the question of why come people don't believe is it, it, it centers around at least several things. And one of them is mainly is religion. People just don't believe that God would let man do that. See, I've never heard that before. I heard a lot of theories. Believe me, I've got a Facebook page full of them. That's not one of the ones that uh, that came up. Um, what a lot of people said, though, was that uh, Buzz Aldrin admitted that they didn't go to the moon. And so I did a little, little fact-checking of my own, and I found this from USA Today, Molly Stellino. And this is from October 12, 2022. This is fact check. Video shows Aldrin recalling Apollo 11 moment, not saying moon landing was fake. And so this is just how the story goes. She says the claim, video shows Buzz Aldrin admitting the moon landing didn't happen. 
This is an Instagram post claims to show astronaut Buzz Aldrin admitting that the famous 1969 moon landing, quote, didn't happen. The October 4th post features a video showing an audience member asking Aldrin who is seated on the stage, what the, quote, scariest moment, unquote, of his journey to the moon was. He appears to respond by saying it didn't happen. It could have been very scary. So in other words, it was the scariest moment that didn't happen, not the moon landing itself. And yet people are, are taking this out of context. So the quote is, he says, Buzz Aldrin yet again admitting the moon landing didn't happen, you know, made the post caption. How many times does he have to say it, you know, before the sheep believe him? So that's what they're saying. Because he said didn't happen, meaning the scariest moment didn't happen. And people are, people are taking that to say, well, the moon landing didn't happen. Remember, remember Trump, and I was talking to somebody about this recently. Remember when Trump said um, that uh, certain, um, you know, illegal aliens crossing our border are murderers and rapists? And then the media said, Trump said, all Mexicans are murderers and rapists, right? That's the quote that made it around. But that's not what he said. You know, Trump is misquoted probably more than anybody. And the same thing here. Buzz Aldrin didn't say the moon landing was a fake. What he said was that there was no scariest moment. <laughs> that's what didn't happen. Well, you not know, uh, Go ahead. as a ham radio operator, we used to do what's called moon bounce where you would bounce signals off of the moon at certain angles in order to be able to speak at uh, other parts of the world. And they uh-huh. do the same thing now with uh, communication satellites. Well, I know there's something called skip. I'm not familiar with the moon bounce, but skip is where the, you can hear AM radio stations thousands of miles away. They used to do that. Yes, it, um, bounces, off the ionic, it bounces off the ionosphere. Right. Radio station. Oh, you know what's something too that has yet to be this uh, remedied is that when re-entering vehicles are uh-huh. coming back into the atmosphere, all communication is lost. And they, it's last time that I, you know, heard anything about it, they still haven't found out what causes that. And I think NASA has a very handsome reward for anyone who's able to. Uh, you know, break that phenomenon. Yeah, I wonder. Well, do they have do they have problems getting radio signals through the atmosphere? You know, I mean, obviously they travel in the atmosphere, but entering the atmosphere was there a was there a bounce of radio signals? Does the atmosphere block any signals coming in by chance? That might be something to think about. Well, I don't think they block. I think it has to do with the heat that's generated when a vehicle re-enters. And the okay. heat waves that come off, I think they disrupt the communication. That's my uh, theory, but uh, I don't well, know. Maybe the Nobody friction, knows, maybe, really. maybe the maybe the friction creates a static electricity, and that's what short. That's a possibility. Absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, I, we never talked about that. I'll ask Mike about it next time. He's got to come back. So my next article I found this is from the Voice of America. This is your U.S. government, voanews.com. So this is this is the government. Voice of America says millions still believe the 19th moon landing was a hoax. And this is July 20th, 2019. So this is, again, the anniversary of the moon landing from Ken Schwartz. So Ken Schwartz says, despite the huge amount of evidence, the dust and rock samples, the television footage, and the hundreds of thousands of people who made it happen. So that's why I went over this so carefully with Mike, because I wanted to really document how this actually happened, you know, so for any, any of the doubters and skeptics out there, it's like, you, you really think they faked all this stuff over, over, you know, 20 years? I don't think so. 
you know, from 45 to from World War II to 1969. So that's 24 years. No, I don't think so. Anyway, he says television footage, the hundreds of thousands of people who made it happen. Polls show as many as 6% of Americans believe the Apollo 11 astronauts never landed on the moon. Well, 60% is not bad. But the fact that anybody... Where did they go? uh, Where did they go exactly? Where they fly around the moon? Did they not go at all? You know, people said there's a there's a Disney studio, and I think it's a Disney studio, but it, it's not where they actually filmed the landing, trying to say that this was the moon. It was a simulation to show what the moon looked like. Yeah, but all the things, all uh-huh. those things had to happen before they landed on the moon that we talked uh-huh. about, the orbiting right. of the moon, the hundreds of times and everything. So how are you going to? So when people were standing there, when you had spectators watching the liftoff at Cape uh-huh. Canaveral. And they seen that rocket, you know, go clean out of sight. So where did it go? <laughs> yeah, I told that's one of the points I made. Although not exactly what you said, I said that uh, you know there are hundreds of thousands of people that saw this thing launch. You know, if if, if nobody saw it launch, do you think they don't you think people would say something? Ah, I never saw it launch, man. Nothing happened. You know, and so exactly, where did it go? Why would the government spend that much money launching a rocket that was not going to the moon? That's a big rocket to not go to the moon. You know, it's just none of this makes sense. But when you talked about me acting like a lawyer, you, you're absolutely right. In the previous hour, I really wanted to get one hour of the entire tracing from from the V1 all the way to landing on the moon. And the reason I did that was for exactly the reason you said, to show every step along the way that this was logical. This was a progression of knowledge and experience and a gain in technology. And every step along the way, they verified it, they confirmed it, and then they took the next step. And so to, to believe this didn't happen, that they went through all this effort and all these, these logical progressions, you know, of, of testing, uh, given the limited technology they have in computers and things like that, and then all of a sudden say it didn't happen? Based on what? That's why I did it. Well, you know, the reason I said that, because the, the things that stick out most in my mind was huh? that period was about four things. A 57 Chevy, a 63 <laughs> Chevy Supersport, a 64 Chevy Super Sport, and my 1967 GTO, red on red in red. So, you still have it? I, I bet you wish you did. The was mostly, yeah. yeah. You don't, do you still have it or no? No. Oh, too bad. A friend of mine had a 64, brand new 64 Chevy Super Sport, white, huh. and then wow. he got called to Vietnam. And when he came back, he never was right. So, yes, and I remember listening to uh, those launches and that in my car, uh-huh. you know, in the uh, AM radio. But, yes, they did ha- happen as far as that. I was listening to something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, people, so in order for know, this to be a – but for this to be a hoax, every radio host, every, every radio news broadcaster around the world, not just, not just the United States, but worldwide, everybody had to be in on the hoax. Every TV news broadcaster had to be in on the hoax. Every journalist, every writer, they would have had to be in on the hoax, right? So for this to happen, the entire NASA had to be in on it. The entire government would have to be in on it. Everybody that knows everybody would have to be in on it, right? So all the people that know the pilots, that know the astronauts, that know the workers, that know the, the, the mathematicians and, the, and the, the guys watching the radar screens, they all had to be in on it if this is a hoax. Well, that's impossible. You can't coordinate that many people worldwide. That's insane to think so. But people do. That's this is why I think it's and hobbyists here. Uh-huh. Hobbyists here on the earth could pick up their transmission uh-huh. with the right equipment. 
that hobbyists well, just know what they have to have. So. There's there's like three tracking stations. There's Houston Mission Control. There's Honeysuckle Creek in Australia, and there's a third one in Europe somewhere. And I, I don't know the name of that one, but there are three main tracking stations, or maybe it's in Asia. But there's three of them. We have one. Australia mm-hmm. has a second, and there's a third one. Again, we're just going on memory here, folks. So yeah, uh, the Australia yeah. would be third. That's right. So what was the, yeah? Australia would be the third one. So what's the other one? What's the one after the way to Earth tournament? Houston, right? Okay, so so where's the where's the where's the second one? It has to be somewhere. someplace in Europe. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, so, so again, so all these places had to be on. So all the computer technology, all the the information, all the scientific papers, all the data, all the evidence, everything to try and fake that. I think it's impossible, or as or as close to impossible as you're going to get. It's easier to actually go to the moon than I think faking going to the moon, quite <laughs> frankly. Given well, you know, people traveled around the world on, uh-huh. in balloons, and people didn't believe that either. Uh, so people have human beings. That's a, that's a trait of human beings to have. Uh, yeah. They reject. They reject science. Really, they would rather hang yep. on to super. And see, here's another thing. Science proves superstition and myth to be false, and people just don't want to give that up. Yeah. Well, we, we say people are more willing to believe their assumptions than truth. Um, I'm hearing a little static on the line. Am I broadcasting okay, or am I breaking at all? No, you sound very well. Okay, good. All right. Well, so maybe uh, – yeah, well, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to cut down the extra websites as much as possible, and I get rid of them once I'm done with them. And I think that's that's making a difference too. But you All know, right, so let's talk thing about too, Greg. Uh, sure. I want to talk about this, and this is very serious because <laughs> you got these agencies, you got the government that the people don't longer trust. See, one of the things that made United States so great is that people in other countries, because of their oligarchy rulership mm-hmm. and the corruption, they said that. At least in the United States, you will be punished. In our right. countries, they never go punished. But now, seeing what you're seeing with the Brandon administration and the things that's been going on for the last couple of years, few years with the FBI, and that people are losing that confidence in the United States because what we're seeing, two-tier justice systems, mm-hmm. is diminishing and wiping that out. Now, that's a really good point you're making. Um, I want to talk about that for a minute because I've been watching the whistleblower hearings and I was watching the um, the censorship hearing. And I covered them. I, I mean, I really listened. In fact, I post them both on Facebook so people would have a chance um, to take a look at them, even editing some, some portions of it. I always Democrats because they're useless. <laughs> and they're bringing everything to race. It's really disgusting the way they do that. That uh, the, the excuse for, uh, for, for Brandon, you know, stealing, and his kids stealing money was that uh, this is a two, this is a racist country and therefore you know these accusations are false. I'm like what? Anyway, let's get back to the main issue. People don't trust the government. So back in 1969, we did. When the government said we went to the moon, people were like yeah, we went to the moon. 
you know, and, and you didn't even have to doubt it. I mean, the cameras were there. Do you remember like Walter Cronkite and uh, John Chancellor? And they had those big cameras with the three lenses they would, would flip around. People were photographing this live as it happened. I mean, there was all kinds of, I remember the countdowns, you know, T minus whatever. And the, the count would be held up and they'd have people live there with their microphones and everybody, were, you know, outside the launch site. So, you know, again, to fake this is pretty crazy. But the idea is now nobody trusts the government. So the age of information, uh, this is a really valid point you're making, has become the age of disinformation. And so the government senses anything that they don't want out there. So if we did have a launch today, would people believe it? That's a really good question. I don't well, yeah, know. They, it, it, and the reason why, because now you have access to the technology. You know, uh-huh. the thing that's found in everyday human life actually developed from space program. Uh-huh. A lot of things, just something as simple as memory foam uh, mattresses is a offshoot of the space program. Tang, uh-huh. orange juice. And this stuff Tang, here. yeah. yeah well, they, keep, they advertise that, yeah. Um, Velcro? Velcro the, the, mineral, the miniaturization of electronics. Yeah. Cell phone. Yep. It wouldn't uh-huh. be possible if it wasn't a mineralization process for the components that went on spacecraft in order to save rock. I mean, so I say rock <laughs> to save weight. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also smoke alarms came from the, uh, the space program too. So there's a lot of consumer goods. A lot of things we take for granted today yeah. came from the space program. I'm sure a lot of engine technology mm-hmm. and radio technology and computer technology and things we don't even know about, they all came from the space program. The space program was a huge benefit. So I never, I don't, I've never begrudged any tax dollars going to the space program. In fact, I wish more would go. But here's what, here's what the interesting thing, though. Something happened, I think, really starting with Bill Clinton, because Bill Clinton was the beginning of the decline, the rise of the left, and, and we got away from, from being a nation of vision, a nation of goals, a nation of accomplishments, and became a nation of guilt, a nation of bad feelings a nation of socialism, a nation of nanny state, a nation of uh, individual accomplishment doesn't matter. You know, what persecuted group are you in? That's what matters. And I think Clinton really started that. He, he took, not only did he transition us uh, into a, um, a dependency state, which Obama greatly capitalized on and advanced even further, but they took away our vision. You know, like I said, when you and I were kids, we either wanted to be astronauts, uh, fighter pilots, you know, fireman or policeman, <laughs> you know, uh, but uh, I, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. I really was never thrilled about being an astronaut. I, I really liked the jets because I thought you had more freedom in a jet to do really cool stuff. The astronaut looked limiting to me. But what kid, especially boys that were our age, you know, didn't want to do something like that? And what do boys want to do today? They want to be girls. Well, you know, what, what, <laughs> we're, we're in a strange place. What happened to uh-huh. The United States was so far out ahead of the rest of the world. Right. I mean, you know, there was a, you know, you had people who were taking old blue jeans. They would go to, uh, it wasn't a Walmart at that time, but they would go buy cases of Coca-Cola and sell them to people in Bosnia, Serbia, in those in countries like that because they didn't have anything. They didn't have Coca-Cola. They didn't have Levi blue jeans. And they didn't have uh, turbochargers for automobiles that you can buy right. at Advanced Auto or O'Reilly's today. They mm-hmm. didn't have that. So people would send those things to them, make a rent, and, and, and that was <laughs> their source, the United States. But what happened yeah. when you stop in your uh-huh. innovative skills, when you stop 
in your yeah. development of technology. That'll allow other nations, hey, they're going to catch up with you. In some cases, they're going to pass you up. Well, let's talk about cars because cars always fascinate me. Uh, we can talk about airplanes too, but uh, I'm hoping there's going to be a, a, a renaissance in airplanes. But cars, you know, the last great year for American cars was 1972. Yeah, the 72 Corvette, the nice sharp nose before it got round and, and, and metrosexualized. Uh, but you look at cars, you know, um, back from, the, from, let's say, 45, the end of World War II. The 40s cars were kind of cool, but wartime cars were different. But you look at the, the, the 40s, or even actually, no, the 30s were really cool, like the old Duesenbergs and some of the Pierce Arrows. There were some beautiful cars back then, but those were really for the rich folks. But cars that came out, you know, for regular people, uh, regular people could afford a, a Corvette or a Firebird or a Camaro in the 60s, uh, or a Mustang when they came out, and the, or a GT, uh, GTO, uh, Chevelles, you know, muscle cars, Think Barracudas. These are really cool cars. We had a romance over cars. We wanted to go bigger, better, faster. You know, and they were creative. They looked different. They actually had colors. Red cars were red. Blue cars were blue. You know, they weren't some, some champagne, pasty, you know, beige, you know, washed out, dirty water looking, whatever color they are. Cars had color. They were interesting. You could tell different model years. People were excited to get new cars. They look at cars today. There's like three basic models. There's the two-door coupe. There's the four-door sedan. There's the small pickup, and there's the big pickup. That's pretty much it. And they all look the same. Mm-hmm. They all look the same. You know how much a, you know how much a uh, brand-new Stingray, Corvette Stingray costs? $7,500. No, wait a minute. Seven, seven thousand. Oh, you're talking about back in the '60s. No, that was in uh, when I, I bought 1973. You could uh-huh. buy a Corvette for about seven thousand five hundred dollars. What's that in today's dollars? Yeah. What's what's that in today's dollars? Uh, Let me get my inflation calculator. you about eighty-five thousand. All right, so let's go inflation calculator. Inflation calculator. So let's go. 1975. The 75 you said? 73. 73. Okay, so 1973. Let's go 73. Yeah, this is 1913. <laughs> they started 1913. That's the year that the Fed took over and screwed everything up. So let's go. 1973. 1973. Purchase item for 7,500. Oh, I'm reaching around my microphone here. Go to be in 2023. Let's find out. It's been 587% inflation. It won't tell me. Maybe I put the dollar in wrong. So let's just go to any 507. 1538. So just inflation alone, your, your Corvette, your $7,500 Corvette in 1973 would only cost $51,000 today. So that $75,000 is additional cost, but is it additional value? Well, I'll tell you, it's, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, as many people can't afford it, but then, too, now you can finance a car for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, back then you actually had to buy it. <laughs> yeah, but seventy five hundred. Yeah, but houses. But back in seventy three, houses were what fifty thousand. <laughs> you know, for a house. So uh, yeah, houses, houses 60s, about they were 50, like thirty thousand. 
Yeah. Okay. So in the, in the 50s, 15, you could buy a house 000. for like 10, you could buy a house for 10,000 in the 50s. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's all relative. But the point is that cars now, Corvettes now look like Ferraris. They're, they're, they've gone from, you know, the, the, the regular American sports car to this esoteric upper elite, you know, they're trying to look like Ferraris. I wish we had, do we have a good American sports car? Just a regular fun, you know, V8, Probably the Dodge Challenger and Charger. That's probably it, right? And the Camaros. What do we got for American sports cars well, that they, people can afford? They're so, they're so large. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, mean, I don't know. I, I don't keep up with cars like I used to. What was a popular mechanic? Then you had the other magazine. Probably science. Yeah. I anyway, the point is the cars are boring. Mechanic. So... But I think this is, I think that we've lost something from the 60s and 70s. 70s when America really started to climb. I mean, Nixon and Watergate. I mean, I got here, but I remember the 60s cars were a blast. My first car was a 64 Bug. You know, it only ran on three cylinders, so we found out later. <laughs> but it ran, you know, uh, three of the four still ran, you know, not well. <laughs> it was kind of interesting. Uh, but cars were fun. Cars were interesting. You know, life was interesting. We had challenges. We had goals. We had vision. We had things we wanted to accomplish. And today, you know, you look at people, they wanted to, the illegals want to come here and live off welfare. And most American kids, you know, the younger folks, like the probably the 30 and younger crowd, they're quite happy to uh, get COVID welfare checks and not even work. They have no ambition to work. Well, you couldn't have done that 50 years ago. What, they, what do you mean they're not working? It would have been shameful. Yeah, they have implemented programs, and they still talk about it. They still talk about the uh, what is that guaranteed wage? They're talking about guaranteed uh, what income. What they're yeah. doing with uh, yeah, guaranteed yeah. income, and, and uh, which want to have a one money like Janice Yeltsin was talking about having a, a central world tax uh, collection agency. Is that special? Countries. What a traitor! Yeah. But it's interesting that the, the ambition has been lost, that we have an entire generation of people that would rather, you know, get paid by the government to do nothing than actually accomplish something. That doesn't bode well for our future. But yeah, the, all these innovation comes from dreaming and from mind. And uh-huh. that uh, dream and that innovation is born in, in not everyone, but a lot of people that uh-huh. is never allowed to be developed. Never allowed to spring forth, mm-hmm. and doing that, you're stymieing the progress of human beings. Human beings cannot stay stagnant; they have to constantly right. keep moving. Yeah, and I've tried several things that got blocked, got destroyed, that I probably didn't do as well, and you know, things happen. But here I am with Action Radio now, and I'm going to stick with this until it, until it's you know incredibly successful. And I intend to buy a jet or two. Yeah, I want a Learjet for traveling. And I want a, um, a Viper Jet Mark II for aerobatics and fun. And so there, there, there are reasons. And if I, were, I figure if I work hard enough, create something that's of incredible value to people, hopefully worldwide, that what benefits to me will be I'll get the toys I've always wanted. Because I've always wanted to, I always wanted to know if I would have been a good jet pilot. You know, I didn't have the eyesight, so I couldn't join the military. But I still want to know at 63 whether I could, be, could have been, you know, a world-class military fighter pilot. I want to find out. And I'm going to yank the hell out of my jet when I get it and find out for sure. And then I'll know. But I don't well, mind waiting. Don't tear the wings, well, no, I'll be, I'll stick with the G limits. I, I was a flight instructor. I know how this works. Yeah. So for, for, okay. um, so, <laughs> I, I actually was a, was an instructor who read the manual. 
and I told my students about reading the manual. So, yeah. So for anybody that's wondering why airplanes have accidents and problems and uh, wings tear off, you exceed the limitations. So an airplane, as long as you keep it within its limitations, you're going to be okay. And they actually build in a safety factor of about either 50% or 150% beyond that. So they build in extra for people who are stupid, <laughs> you know, anyway, or get caught in horrendous weather and storms. But there's a speed you can slow an airplane down to so that you'll never have the wings rip off in a storm. It'll fall for it. In other words, the air pressure, uh, the lift will be taken from the wings. And then you get the air flowing again, it's okay. So that, that's a standard thing. Same thing with G-forces. There are certain Gs you can pull and there are certain Gs you can't. If I get a fully aerobatic airplane where I can pull six positive, four negative, or whatever the, the limitations are, then I'll, I'll keep it. Believe me, four Gs is enough. <laughs> I'm quite happy. I don't have to pull six. You know, I'm, I'm quite happy at four. Um, but uh, just keep it within the limitations. I'm not going to rip the, the wings off it. I'll stay within my limitations. That's how you do it. So, but that's part of being a good pilot. Same thing with anything else. You know, it's like speed limits on a car. If you try and take a, a curve at 70 miles an hour that was designed for 20, you ain't going to make it. The laws of physics will put you in the, in the trees yeah. or off the bridge but or you in know, the water or something. Uh-huh. The next frontier is going to be space. Oh, yeah. It's going to be very – yeah, let's – you know, a harvesting uh, satellites. In space junk, it's in our geocentric mm-hmm. orbit. There's, there's a lot of stuff up there. Up to the point where you can't yeah, well, it starts falling. Yeah. Well, here's mm-hmm. a couple things. I'm excited about uh, there's some really interesting airplanes coming out of Europe right now. Very light sport airplanes. They've got these Rotax engines. They're very affordable to operate. Still costs a couple hundred thousand dollars to buy. But they're fast. These things are doing close to 200 miles an hour. You know, so about 160, 180 knots for us airplane people. Um, but they're really uh, quite affordable, quite, quite good. Our problem is our regulations haven't caught up with that. They, they have only speed and, and altitude and artificial limitations. But we could have some really nice, uh, affordable air- airplanes that people could fly. Um, yeah, they're going to cost a fair bit, but that's what life's all about. Earn, earn the money. Do something successful. But the operating costs are pretty low. Well, you want to have uh-huh. Jetson-style travel. Okay, we're, that's, that's exactly coming. where I wanted. To, yeah, that's where I wanted to go next. So, so feel free. Yeah, you're gonna have that. Uh, you're gonna have the sky is gonna be vectored. You're gonna have altitude limitation, uh-huh. and you're gonna have uh, vectoring at the uh, travel going in east west at one altitude, uh-huh. uh, travel going north south at another altitude. So, in order to keep the separation, so that's gonna come. So let's talk about uh, drone personal flying craft, because this is where I, I think we're going. Have you seen these like six or eight propeller drones that can lift a person? Yeah, I've seen it, but I think it's going to be beyond that too, Craig. I really do. Okay. Where, where, where do you think it's happening? Take the innovation. And you know where it's, you know where you know where that's developing is developing your garage workshops, and we don't have that like we used to. Yeah, and that's uh, Wozniak and Jobs, you know, in their garage developed the, the Apple computer. Yeah, and that's the problem. We've got to, as Mike was talking about, too, they're not teaching science, the, and they don't have the dream. You've got to dream it before it happens. I mean, Action Radio was a dream before it became a reality. It had to be. You know, how else could I work the concepts if I wasn't dreaming about it and, and thinking about it? Nothing becomes real until you dream and think about it. I mean, think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is how these things happen. But they're not accidents. Now, how it happened, how it developed, all the different components, the people that came to it that I, you know, I never would have met in any other way, like you. I mean, the chances of us crossing paths you know, with not, without Action Radio are very slim. 
but yet here we are. It's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, but yeah but, you, you never know who your conversation is going to be with uh-huh. in the future. Yeah. Well, it's hard to find people like it's hard to find people. They are they exist, but mm-hmm. it's hard to find people like mine on particular subjects. Like your last guest, I like talking to science of teachers. Well, I wish I you would like come on every week. I mean, I've, I've offered I've offered yeah. it to Mike to be on every week. He's busy. He's got stuff going on, uh, like everybody. But uh, he's welcome to come on every week. Wouldn't bother me. Love it. You know, I'd like to get Candace back if she yeah. had the time. You know, we've got some good people out there, but uh, life gets in the way, and I understand that. That's just that's normal. You know, I'm the only one that can be here I mean, can, day, we I mine, can we do mining on asteroids? Uh, right, that's a good question. Could. Look at the benefits. So, so who's going to get the asteroid? So is, is like the country that secures the asteroid, I guess, can keep it? No, you know, it's, going be private. it's going to be private company. It's not going to be a, a, a government. Would you imagine trying to get something going with Chuck Schumer and uh, sure, yeah. Newsom. That's a good point. Yeah, it, I didn't think of that. Private, yeah. It's going to be private adventures. That's one uh-huh. the reason they hate Elon Musk. Well, they hate him because he's uh, he's a constitutionist, I guess you can say. He realized well, really the freedoms good. that the country offered to him permit him to do what he was able to do. Probably couldn't do this elsewhere in the world. Without well, that's the why he came here. Well, let's talk about Elon Musk. Let's talk about technology. So he had a dream for electric cars. He's built the Teslas. Teslas are probably the best electric cars out there. I'm not an electric car fan, especially not the mandates. If people want them, that's fine. You know, it's free country. They should be able to buy them. But uh, what I don't want is taxpayer money for subsidies. I don't want taxpayer money creating, you know, fueling stations or, or electric charging stations. That should be done by you private know companies. And you know what, Greg? We have had electric cars for a long time. It was based on a hobbyist model. Mm-hmm. Uh, popular mechanic, and especially popular science, had mm-hmm. schematics and materialists to build your own electric car. It's been around forever. Even the even a method of power it uh, with the advent of alternators. You know, the advent of alternators made it possible to do a lot of things compared to the old generator. Nikolo Tesla. Nikolo Tesla. AC current alternators, as opposed to DC current generators that uh, Thomas Edison favored. Yeah, it's a fascinating discovery. Um, so, so let's talk about that. I remember electric cars from my earliest days. Uh, they were experimental. They were hobby. They were private companies. There were people who were doing it. But we've had electric cars a long time, and the market selected against them. In the free market, electric cars cannot compete on the level of gasoline and diesel cars. They just can't, not even close. However, if you skew the market with the government and you force people to buy them, if you give outrageous subsidies to buy them, if you don't charge for the disposal of the battery, in other words, if they put the costs of electric cars onto all of us who drive non-electric cars, that's the only way these things are surviving in the market. Except for the rich people that, that can afford Teslas, Teslas were like 80,000, and somewhere between 80 and 120,000, depending on the model you got, which in Silicon Valley, in San Francisco, is fine. Because in Silicon Valley, if you go to Facebook or Google or any of these other massive companies in Silicon Valley, the companies all buy charging stations, and that's fine. They're a private company. Go for it. You want to do that? They actually make it easy for their employees to own electric cars because they don't live that far away. You know, even if they live in San Francisco, it's only 20 miles, right? So they can uh, they can commute in their electric car, charge their car at work, 
you know, drive home, charge the car at home. You probably don't have to charge it at home. Probably just use a charge from, uh, from work. So in that sense, those electric cars make sense. But they're using the market. You know, as, or as long as they're using the market. But the minute you get subsidies, that those companies get a tax break on their charging stations, well, maybe that's okay. Um, but the fact is they don't have a hazmat fee for the battery disposal. You know, the secondary market of cars. Who buys electric cars? I guess people use cars. You ever see used electric cars on the market? Not many. No, I haven't. Right. You know why? Because well, nobody wants the battery it, cost. No one wants to have to replace the battery. It, it, right. The battery <laughs> cost is, is, is really ridiculous. You got that? You had the push for uh, elevated minimum wage to $15,000 an hour. Everybody has $15,000 an hour to buy an electric car. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, and the other problem I have, of course, is, is what I call mono-energy. You never want your only source of power to be generated by government utilities regulated by smart meters that the government can cancel. See, the nice thing about gasoline, you can buy all the gasoline you can afford. If you've got a sure B12 Jaguar XKE, by the way, that's one of the cars on my list. You know, Jaguar XKE, uh, the 308 uh, GT Ferrari that uh, Tom Selleck drove in Magnum PI. Um, what else do I want? Uh, 67 Firebird, uh, a 70s BMW Coupe, and there's one other I keep for, oh, probably a 61 Corvette, but that'll be expensive. Anyway, so I'll get my five cars. I'll be happy. You know, uh, mm-hmm. not only that, uh, in Egypt, in Aswan, the group of men that has what they call the Faluka boats, they produce their own gasoline with the switchgrass. Oh, how do they do, how do they do that? Oh, the grass. Switch grass. How does that, how does that make oil or, or gas? They 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 extract it through a boiling process. What like ethanol from corn? Well, they don't have corn, but they have grass. Grass is available it's readily every place. So they just uh, they set up their own distillery and make their own fuel. Okay. Well, that's some morning, you know. I mean, I don't know people that ran their cars on, on chicken poop. <laughs> people run the cars on anything. You know, cars with too much ethanol smell like salad dressing. It's kind of funny because <laughs> it's corn oil, right? So, so anybody, you know, when you pull up to a pump and you go, oh, it smells like corn oil. Yeah, too much ethanol on this, this fuel. I'm not going to buy it. So here's a question for you, too. This is, we're kind of all over the place now in our last 10 minutes. But have you seen gas stations that start to pop up with no ethanol? That's like $4, it's about a dollar more per gallon. On average, but I'm wondering if you get a, you get the equivalent of a greater mileage and, and less maintenance on your car because you're, you're putting pure gasoline instead of gasoline adulterated with ethanol in it. Have you seen those stations? Do you know much about that at all? I haven't seen that, but you know, just think about ethanol. It was nothing more than another fad that came along. It was subsidized by government in certain ways, and uh-huh. uh, people are starting to move away from it. I mean, why yeah, is nice ethanol? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's supposed to be an oxygenate that burns your fuel more efficiently. It doesn't do anything of the kind. What it really is is a subsidy to Archer Daniels Midland to, to make them billions of dollars and, and keep uh, farmers uh, employed growing something that we don't need. We've got plenty of oil. We don't need ethanol in our fuel. We don't. There's no reason for it. None. You know, I've done shows this. <laughs> There's no reason for ethanol. We should be running on pure gasoline. You know, I ran my car. My, well, my, you can, I had an old you can take Toyota. Poop can, I ran it on. Hmm? Poop, can, poop can produce a gas that can uh, you can you know something else yeah. too. 
methane. They yeah. produce a gas to operate your uh, gas, gas stove, the cook-off. Yeah. They do that. So all, those people, so all those folks worried about cow poop, you know, turn it into fuel. But the point is that the world and, has gone nuts. The world has gone nuts. We've lost our vision. Yeah, Nobody likes, you know, technology anymore. You know, it's more important to be, uh, you know, socially and politically correct than it is to dream about flying to Mars. That's a problem. You know, our, our big problem. And we got folks, like I say, that, uh, oh, the moon landing never happened. Uh, uh, and if it did, it doesn't matter. <laughs> what do you mean it doesn't matter? That was a huge accomplishment. We need adventure as a people. You know, I mean, how many people, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of Facebook posts, you know, especially from women. It's like, uh, you know, take on the challenges, be the person you're meant to be, you know, you're okay, you'll be fine, take the scars, battle through. But no one's saying, hey, what's your last adventure? You know, what have you discovered? You know, wh- which mountain are you going to climb next? You know, the, the, the vision and the romance and the adventure has all been taken out. I think that's really sad. You know, and I hope well, there's not generation. Be too many that- it's not going to be too many adventures left on Earth. That's why I'm saying the next frontier horizon is going to be space. Mm-hmm. And uh, there should be uh, mm-hmm. opportunity for ingenious people to use their imagination and turn that mm-hmm. into hands-on skills to, to produce a, uh, a source of energy for these vehicles where they can work against gravity in order to propel itself and trust itself. Yeah. I wonder if it's you anything like rocket ultra... gun. You can't have you can't have uh drones with four you know, four with two each uh, opposite uh, rotating blades, you're gonna have to have the Star Wars not Star Wars. Well yeah, I guess you can say Star Wars. <laughs> you have to have that type of uh, that type of potion set. And see, because it don't exist, it's hard to put words to it in order to describe it. Mm-hmm. Well, I just came up with the term ultra gas, which is the next evolution of fuel, which is a fuel that's like 10 times more powerful than our current formula for gasoline. That would change everything. Is anybody working or synthetic fuels? Is anybody working or maybe a combination of organic and synthetic? You know, I mean, the possibility is, first of all, you have to ask the question. You have to, you know, expect it. I expect cars you know, to be more interesting, more fun, more sporty, you know, and the, the, the closest one right now is the Toyota uh, GR86. That, that's my, my, probably my next, you know, normal car acquisition. If I ever get a new car, it's going to be a Toyota GR86. Why? It's got a, a six-cylinder, you know, rear-engine drive, six-speed manual shift car. I don't think it doesn't have this convertible, but hopefully that will come out in the next year or two. But, yeah, because I like driving cars that are fun and sporty. You know, and but people, it's like it, the, you can get lost in practicality. Your spirit can get killed being practical. I don't want to be practical. You know, that's the whole reason I started Action Radio, because and you talk about being a pioneer. I've always wanted to be a pioneer. I just didn't know what to be a pioneer in. I figured the mountains have been climbed. Space has already been, you know, handled. Uh, they've already been to the moon. You know, the ocean depths are being explored, although Titanic Explorer had a problem. But for the most part, there's not a whole lot of places left on Earth to go explore unless you go real deep and have millions of dollars to go. So I thought, how can I be a pioneer? Well, I found combining a radio show with citizen legislation makes me a pioneer. Makes all of us pioneers. We're doing something that's never been done before. I think that's exciting. Gets me out of bed every day. Well, your CNNs and NBCs and ABCs, they've taken a hit because of 
innovation and in getting the communication out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, I think that's good. And what we need is the innovation. What we need is the next breakthrough. People recognize that citizen legislation is the future, that people writing laws that we consent to be governed by is the future. We don't have to depend on politicians for the laws. We give politicians the laws and say, here, put this through your legislative process. And, uh, you know, your election might depend on the outcome. That's never been done before. Anyway. Well, that was a history. That was a history in the United States when the West was developed. By the yeah. time authoritary government reached the West, people amongst themselves had came up with agreement, basically writing their own laws, handshakes, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's the way it existed. Mm-hmm. So we're doing the same thing that they did then, but we're doing it with modern technology. Oh, by the way, my website's back up. We got it fixed. <laughs> so whoever hacked it, whichever FBI, KGB, you know, uh, intelligence service or whoever deep state, you know, went after it, we got it back and I'm going to make sure it stays back. <laughs> so, yeah. So we're back in business, folks. You know, they tried, they failed. Here we are. Um, and then they might try again. Who knows? I got more security on it now. I keep adding stuff. But uh, yeah, you got to watch out for that because there, there are people that are against what we do. You think the deep state wants people thinking they can write their own laws? No. They want people thinking that the government tells them what to do. They don't, and and when you start venturing off into other things like cryptocurrency, you can uh-huh. see the government start to put in rules and regulations <clears throat> to try to uh, stymie that development. Uh-huh. Um, people, people come up with ways where they can be void of government interference, and the government wants to try to control you. Uh, that methodology, they have no way to control a person like it mm-hmm. is when you establish a bank account. They can't control it, and it just mm-hmm. bugs the shit out of them. <laughs> yeah, it's like when, again, people can buy all the gasoline they want. If I want to buy a V8 charger you know, and drive it you know, 10 hours a day because I, I think it's really cool, that's my office, I can do that. You can't do that in an electric car. You can't do it under a social credit system. You can't do it under a, a rationing of power system. You can't do it under a bunch of things. But here's the big mystery. Here's what we don't know. And I'm going to end with this, and we'll, uh, we'll pick it up again Monday. What we don't know is what would happen if millions of people sent in legislation to Congress and to media and said, pass this bill or pass these bills. We don't know what's going to happen because that's a great unknown. But we've got the technology to do it. We've got the means to do it. What we don't have is the media covering it. You know, having me on the big shows, I mean the big shows, Joe Rogan, Tucker Carlson, when we get on those shows, that's when it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Because once we, you know, and if I'm wrong and it doesn't work, then, you know, I'll think of something else to do. But I don't think I'm wrong. I think this is going to work exactly as we've outlined it. And we'll know if all of a sudden people around the country start sending in, in bills to Congress and to other media and to state legislators. And they say, I want this bill. It's really simple. We've got to cross that threshold of, of disbelief. People are like, oh, this will never work. Oh, you, you know, you're wasting your time. You yeah, know, that takes a combination of things. Yep. It takes a combination of things to make it become fruition. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to have people taking the responsibility that they should be utilizing right now, mm-hmm. I keep making mention, I keep harping on that you have to educate the kids. Well, absolutely. I agree with you. You know, in fact, I'm hoping that we have – action radio hosts around the country doing just that, talking directly to kids. Directly. I used to listen to talk radio when I was in high school and junior high. You can reach them. 
You know, just have to have to want to listen. You know, and we could uh, do work with getting rid of uh, government schools. Someday, one of one of our counties is going to get rid of all the government schools. It should have been this one here, Santa Rosa. But we're not big enough here. We have a lot well, of opposition. It's coming, but it's yeah. coming too slow. Yeah, yeah, it's coming uh, too yeah. slow. Way too slow. Yeah, but I, I see a world without government education, uh, where we have private accounts, retirement accounts, not Social Security, uh, where there is no Fed. There is no digital currency where people are writing laws. You know, I, I see a vision of what this country should have been. And that's where I'm headed. That's, that's my goal is to get us where we should have been without the left. We need to defund, get rid of, remove as a political entity or threat the left. That's the only way this country is going to survive. So we need to take the left, yeah. mostly Democrats, mostly Democrats and half the Republicans. We need to get them out of office. We need to vote them out. We need to make their communism, socialism, guilt, wokeism, all that stuff. We need to make that so unpopular, so, so disgusting. They're stymied in process. Someplace in Florida, they had a big IRS raid uh-huh. with about 30 agents going into this one establishment coming out with boxes. Just think, one of the days you won't have those boxes. You don't need boxes of yeah. records. Yeah. It would be well, put on a... Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Derek was talking about uh, uh, most people won't need to file a tax return. Well, they already don't need to file a tax return. If you take your standard, like he says, you're just, you're just telling the IRS what they already know because the company already sent in your information. You're right. So, so why, are we, why are we filling out tax returns? $200 just to do that. Yeah. yeah. Why, so why are, we, why are we filling out tax returns? Why, you know, and they don't if give you, you a hard copy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, I, I, you know, I had a, you know, 30 years ago, and I tried to get a copy of my return from the state of Massachusetts. They wouldn't give me one. Said, Why are you charging me money? You won't even give me my return and show me where I made a mistake. They took the money anyway out of my next refund. <laughs> you know, they don't care. Even though I proved them wrong. Anyway, but uh, yeah, there's no reason for tax. Maybe you should write a bill on that. There's no reason for tax returns. If you have, you know, salary, salaried income. Oh, that was my 10-second warning. If you have salaried income, all right. If you're not working independently, if you don't have business expenses and you take your standard deduction, why would anybody have to file out a file a return? Here's a better idea. My idea for my bill where the, there's no income withholding. If you take your standard deduction, because you don't no, no money's withheld until you've earned your standard deduction. There you go. That's even simpler. <laughs> You know, you know, the company should just give you a statement. Okay, you we're at the end of another week. Okay, you can. All right, fine. I'm just rambling on. Don't mind me. <laughs> all right. Last thoughts? Anything you want me to cover next week? Well, live safe. Keep your eyes open, your ears perch. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> Thanks for your help as always. I'll talk to you Monday. I enjoy you, Greg. I really do. Well, hey, listen, my friend. It's good to have you on. I mean, I couldn't do the show without you, quite frankly. I really couldn't. Even if you get after Absolutely. you to stay focused. I, I could not do the show without you. It's just, that's, just, that's just a fact. So thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. See you later. All right. Take care. Have a good weekend. All right. So this has been a pretty incredible week, from the whistleblower hearing to the, uh, the censorship hearing to all the other things that have gone on. Uh, to all my folks, you know, Marco, who listens in the Netherlands, to Pianki, who calls my show, to all the different people, the reporters, all, I think it's 11 now. Um, at various times. This is, this is a pretty incredible experience. I, I feel very privileged and very lucky to be able to do this, even though it is a hell of a lot of work, but it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. And the day will come when citizen legislation is so strong that it will be a major consideration for politicians running for office. We will defeat the lobbyists. We will defeat the deep state. 
because uh, there's more of us than there are of them. It's just that simple. We can outvote them once we get the voters coordinated and inspired and realize that what we do here and what we talk about actually works. All right. Talk to you next week. Have a wonderful time. Back at Monday, 7 o'clock. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three-minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener. And help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. All right, I was just thinking of a new feature while that was playing. I might, uh, I might start doing this, ending the show uh, with uh, America the Beautiful. I just got to find the right volume for it. There we go. So again, what we do here is, is a restoration of America. It's a restoration of, uh, of the adventure, of the romance of this country, of the idea of freedom. That's what we do here. And so, you know, I think I'll use this as a recap. Maybe Fridays, maybe every day. It depends. But uh, this is the last great hope in the world. You know, if we can't do it here, we can't do it. And so despite the deep state and the Marxists and the politically correct and the woke crowd and the globals and all those other people, it doesn't matter. It simply doesn't matter. We're going to beat them. But you have to believe it. And you have to go with citizen legislation uh, that we write the laws. And once we control the laws, we control them. That's really what it comes down to. Once we control the laws, we control them. So I don't know if I'm going to make this a, uh, <laughs> an audio feature that I might play, or I might just uh, do it uh, as I do it now, just kind of improvise and, and go from there. I'll see. I'll let you know. All right. Back next uh, Monday, 7 a.m. Central Time. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. 
Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 